Welcome folks, uh, this is Dr. Ben Pandit. Uh, welcome to our first uh, lecture series. First, before I get into the lecture series, I just want to kind of give you some perspective of what this lecture video is about. Okay, these lecture videos are intended to kind of give you a quick information, kind of quick glance of um, of what we're covering uh, this week, each week, topic 1 through topic 15. So each week you should have information that kind of pertinent for you to really know. And that's this what the lecture series and these lecture videos are about. Um, what it's not intended to do is it's not intended to replace your reading. Okay, this is not intended to replace your reading. You still do need to read uh, those information. When I went to medical school, uh, I took three semesters of pathophysiology. Three semesters, that's whole entire year. So what we are doing here is we're trying to condense the whole entire year of learning into 16 weeks. It's a daunting task. I, I know, I realize that. However, okay, we don't expect you to know everything, every nooks and crannies about pathophysiology. Okay, I, we want you to know enough that you could actually safely practice as a family nurse practitioner. Okay, so that's the goal is to actually have you safely practice as a nurse practitioner. You could look things up. I mean, there are thousands. There's, is in, in fact, hundreds of thousands, or close to could, could be close to millions of diseases, or and some we not yet discovered. So. Uh, things changes all the time. We learn new things all the time with these uh, information. So, but you need to be able to understand um, kind of basic principle and also understand the um, the idea of what pathophysiology actually is. Okay, to do that, to do that, um, what you need to do is um, understanding kind of key concept. Uh, for pathophysiology and you're gonna see this throughout the whole entire semester so I would recommend you know you be able to write these down and kind of jog these information because you will need this information for your 3p exam okay information that you're learning now uh, you will need to use it uh, 10 12 months down the road to take to pass that uh, 3p exam so you do need to kind of not trying to memorize it, I would say. Uh, Lily, that's the worst thing you could do is just trying to memorize things, but trying to learn things, put it in your long-term memory, understanding it. Once you understand it, uh, if you could teach it, you understand it, you definitely uh, know all these stuff. Okay. So as you go along, this is something to keep in mind. Okay. This is something to keep in mind is to... Uh, trying to uh, trying to come up with these things okay so number one as we go down uh, with each lesson each disease you should know the name of that disease and sometimes there's more than one name uh, sometimes there's more than one so you need to know all the names of those diseases okay along with the name usually comes with uh, if there's any pathogen okay any pathogens Anything that caused the disease, okay, any bugs, infection, uh, bacteria, viruses. Uh, so you should know the name of those pathogens for the disease, okay. Um, next is the cause. You should know what 
what are the causes uh, that could lead to this disease uh, and also risk factors anyone any person any uh, things that uh, could lead to this disease become more susceptible to this disease so those are the risk factors okay uh, number four big huge one here is pathophys okay in the name of the class okay pathophysiology that's mean you need to know how do you get that disease in inside your body what happened inside your body a lot of a lot of time we don't know uh, i would say closer to a third of the time we don't really know um, we don't know what caused it okay um, but for the most part with other time that stuff that we do know you need to know those uh, how those actually cause uh, the biggest one is signs and symptoms you need to be able to do signs and symptoms understand what are the signs and symptoms might be uh, the lab diagnose diagnostic any type of lab you should be running you should be testing to come up with the diagnosis which is next one is differential diagnosis you should be able to come up with differential diagnosis and last one is the treatment what kind of treatment you could actually give to your patient okay the treatment part i feel that that's the easiest part i would say that most of you actually have this down this will be in your in your farm class okay your farm um, and as a nurse you, you actually have you, you use these treatment all the time because you've seen doctors order them you've seen uh, all, all of these treatment being given out so it's pretty easy for you to understand the treatment so this is something that you have information before so some of you may not struggle as much in terms of farm uh, but for this um, for this is the biggest jump that I usually usually see here uh, for your for this class so pathophys class uh, this is the part that people usually have uh, most problem with because you're not used to think in terms of clinician you know you're not used to think in terms of finding out what diseases uh, that they have you're just treating them because someone tell you to treat them this is how you would treat them okay so these first three step will help you become first four step actually uh, will help you become a good investigator you're trying to investigate what's going on with the patient and these will actually help you uh, give you tools to actually for you to use to help uh, treat the disease okay uh, for five and six you probably will do this in the health assessment class we will do it here in this class um, we will talk a lot about sim signs and symptoms we will talk a lot about lab too as well so um, something to keep in mind as you go along okay so with each disease you should come up with this list uh, kind of have a short note short version of your note should kind of re reflect to these um, the care on point also reflects to some of these as well care on point usually have these first four first five uh, or first six uh, portion actually on care on point so it kind of aligned to all of the stuff that you are learning okay. so keep in mind as we start off this chapter uh, that's what you're going to be doing I'm trying to understand of it and uh, understand the concept rather than uh, trying to memorize them here we go the first one um, 
which is this is all path, pathophysiology book. This is how we start the book. It's called homeostasis. Um, if your body, your body actually undergo homeostasis at all time throughout throughout the day, in the morning, evening, even night when you sleep, you have these stuff going on all the time. Okay, when your body become imbalanced, uh, that's when you're gonna start seeing diseases. That's when you actually start seeing pathologies. Okay, so. As we cover these information, what I want you to do is to kind of think about it. These, these PowerPoints just to kind of give you an idea, having you understand the big picture, big concept, key stuff that you do need to know. And then when you want to find out more information, then you go dive in deeper into your textbook so you could read those information into a deeper level, understanding more complex uh, concept or ideas in your textbook okay uh, this these powerpoints are not meant to replace your textbook by any means so please make sure to keep that in mind so when you listen to these videos um, these lecture series just think of it as a general concept that you need to help you understand the concept and some of the time I will actually we will dive deep in into the into the video as well but uh, it's good for you to actually go back to your book and then read those portion as well. Okay, so homeostasis, um, atmospheres. Uh, so this is basically in your body that actually help kind of maintain the homeostasis. Everything needs to be in balance. Your pH, your temperature, your fluid, your pressure, everything has to be in balance in order for you to stay healthy. When those any of those things out of balance, then you end up with disease. Okay. Um, transport. You probably learned this way back and probably forget it by now. There are um, three different types of transport: active versus passive. Active, you use energy. Passive, you do not. Uh, diffusion. That's usually for molecule. Again, uh, osmosis is uh, a diffusion of water going from higher to lower level. Most all of water usually going from high to low uh, if you're seeing any water that going from low to high let me know in fact there are actually a few videos online that actually show a waterfall that actually comes up uh, reverse waterfall but those just to due to wind force uh, wind force actually causing the the water to actually splash up instead of going down okay Huge concept to remember, uh, huge concept to remember is this page. You're going to see this throughout the whole entire semester. It's called negative versus positive feedback. Okay, negative versus positive feedback. Uh, negative feedback, what does this mean? Oh my, if you don't remember these. Okay, negative feedback usually used with uh, receptor, hormones, nervous system, enzyme, and positive feedback as well. So what does this mean? So negative feedback, when we say negative, that's mean when, think of negative is the opposite sign, okay, when negative is the opposite system, okay, opposite system. So if one thing is going down, your body is going to tell it to go up. If or if something is going up, your body will tell us to go down. What do we mean by that? Let's say if you have a temperature, okay, you if let's say things are getting hot, uh, the temperature outside is hot, you're feeling hot, 
not like sexy hot kind of thing that's different um so but if you feel hot in terms of temperature you want your body will start to cool you, your body down your uh, whole system was trying to cool your body down so trying to bring your temperature down by sweating by drinking warm water you become thirsty so those are the opposite system okay that's what we mean by opposite system when things go up the other things your body trying to bring it down um when you, uh, well, let's say, when you lower your sugar, when you actually don't have any sugar in your body, your sh your blood sugar level goes down, your body then trying to put more blood sugar into your system by increasing uh, hormones, uh, which we will talk about in that in week five, a uh, hormone that will increase uh, your blood sugar, okay? So those are the opposite feedback. Uh, the positive feedback, positive when you positive when you feel positive you kind of what we call in a like system so things are liking each other when kind of similar to each other if that's when you go up together okay you keep going up together you keep coming down together so okay so up up together down down together because we are all alike uh, it's positive um, you just going up and down together the example that you should know because there's only a few system in your body that actually acts or works as a positive feedback system and this is one of the questions that often asked in your 3p in your licensing exam or even in this class is that uh, what are the example of this positive feedback system the great example of that would be your fsh and lh so girls you girls go through this every month so your hormone level rise up to the point that you actually run out and then you crash every single month um, okay so your hormone rises up to the point that you run out of your hormone then therefore you crash okay so the system is not built to actually uh, trick stop it it actually keep tells you to keep going keep going keep going until you run out of your resources then you go kaput okay the other one that really really uh, you're seeing a lot uh, as well is your labor or childbirth same thing uh, your contraction you keep having more and more and more contraction until you poop out that baby okay when you once you poop out that baby you are done well technically you're going to poop out the placenta as well so you poop a couple of times and then your body got the system going to say i'm done I am done with this after nine months, so I am no more. So you, your system shuts down. Okay. So labor is another childbirth. Labor is another example, oftentimes used uh, for the, your exam. So you should know these two example because those are the one that you're definitely gonna see on your exam. Cellular ad adaptation. We go through the cellular adaptation all the time. Um, that's part of human being also your you have things around you technically you have things that kill you uh every every minute and every second of the day um you could die just about anything and any anything and anyone and from any bugs as well okay so your cell adaptation your body has to adapt to all kinds of things that's going on around you all the time this is for survival purposes uh sometime, you know 
our temperature here goes up to 115 degree uh, and your body have to adjust to that um, yeah lovely days coming uh, so you're sweating to death kind of day so uh, there are there are things that happen in your body all the time things that you do to your body let's say you drink coffee yes coffee coffee is actually acidic your body have to adjust to that uh, those acid that you just put in your in, in your mouth uh, you drink soda you drink coke uh, again those are acid acidic your pH of four and five um, those are considered acidic your body has to balance those out somehow so your body constantly adapting even while you're asleep um, you're sleeping you actually your body temperature changes all the time uh, it get colder at night it gets warm in your bed it adjusts to your movement so it does adapt quite a bit okay um, when we talk about pathology, this is where things goes wrong. When you're seeing a cellular injury, this is when things actually gone haywire. Okay, so you could you could have cellular injury from infection. That's uh, very common. Infection is common cause. Hypoxia. This is the number one common cause. How your cell actually die. Okay. Uh, leading to the death of the cells usually is caused by hypoxia okay what is hypoxia this mean you're low in oxygen your body your cell is not getting the oxygen that it need hypoxia this mean you're low of oxygen hypoxemia this mean you have a very low oxygen in your blood and ischemia does mean you actually start causing any type of injuries in your cells which could lead to atrophy infarction and organ failures and damage as well Okay. We're going to talk about some of these lovely terms uh, shortly, especially free radical. I'm going to go over that really quick. Uh, chemicals, uh, we, um, you know, uh, we live in a chemical world. Uh, definitely, you can actually get cellular injury with the chemical. Um, just like, you know, if you follow our lovely precedent, injecting those Lysol into your bloodstream, yes, you will die. Or you could injure yourself pretty badly. Okay, uh, you too much. You taking hydrochloroquine from from the fish tank? Uh, yes, you can die as well. So um, definitely, you uh, we on our body could be damaged by these chemicals. Uh, it could be chemicals around us as well. Trauma. If you if I hit you in the head, definitely you're gonna have a cellular injury. Uh, genetics. You could born with it as well. AI. Uh, is not not referring to the. Um, Computers. Uh, this is autoimmune disease. So when you see AI in this class, uh, this is not computer system. This is not, this is not the uh, intelligent system. This is the autoimmune disease. Okay. So when you see this word, uh, not computer, it's autoimmune. So again, you could pass on uh, that to your from your family. When you see anytime you see the word autoimmune, first thing I want you to remember is female. Okay. A majority of people who have autoimmune are female, majority of them. So any type of autoimmune disorder, it, if um, if I ask you who often actually have the disease, uh, you have to say female. Yep, so keep that in mind. Nutrition, if you eat bad stuff, you are what you eat. So if you eat bad stuff, uh, definitely you could have problem as well. Um, and other things that, other things that we, we do to our body. 
uh, definitely you see this star you need to know what that uh, know this page uh, definitely you're gonna see some of this stuff on your exam okay so atrophy this is a, some of the terms that you should know basic term you should know atrophy means that a means lack of right so lack of or decrease in tone decrease in tone uh, meaning that it's the size of your uh, cellular size so you could seeing uh, atrophy uh, there in the leg okay if you if you bedridden for two weeks if you're not exercising at all uh, those legs uh, could actually you could see the muscle atrophy okay in those hypertrophy hypertrophies um, when you talk about these, you keep remember one thing that you could have a what we call physiological, physio physiological, uh, physiological versus the pathological. Okay, pathological versus physiological. Okay, physiological, physiological is the normal stuff, no normal things that happen in in your life, uh, natural things that happen to your life. So, what it, what are some of the example of hypertrophy? Uh, you know, in physiological term, physiological term hypertrophy means bigger. Your cells getting bigger. Can you think of anything that you do to get your cells bigger? Naturally, could be a good thing. Okay. Um, usually, you think of like exercise when you actually lift those muscle. You know, lift those dumbbell. Uh, getting your guns bigger. Yeah. Um, so getting those bicep, your muscle bigger. That's considered a physiological hypertrophy. Physiological hypertrophy. Whereas pathological, this is kind of deadly diseases that makes things go bigger. So like hepatomegaly, uh, making your uh, liver bigger. Uh, splenomegaly, making your spleen bigger. Those are bad stuff. And including this one, uh, cardiomegaly. Uh, cardiomegaly, that's making your heart bigger. Having a bigger heart is not good uh, in medicine. In medicine, having a bigger heart is bad for you. Okay. Hy hyperplasia, same thing. You could actually think about pathological versus physiological. What is what what is example of physiological of hyperplasia? So think about that. Yes. So hyperplasia that means that you have more stuff. Okay, hyperplasia. So hypertrophy you mean you just have um, bigger cells. So hypertrophy is these guys. Bigger cell atrophy the cell becomes uh, flat, and small. Uh, hypertrophy the cell become bigger hyperplasia means that you have more cells just more of the same size cells you just have more of them uh, women actually go through this once a month um, so when you actually start building up that wall and, and shed every month uh, that's hyperplasia that's an example of hyperplasia right there uh, you actually building up the wall of the uterus and then you shed it out every month that's hyperplasia uh, pathological you have tons of it you could this could be a beginning of cancer you could have you know moles you could have uh, skin tag things like that that actually cause more cells in your body okay metaplasia that's referring to uh, you have having these multiplication of cells just keep multiplying in a different shape and form as you can see hyperplasia you still maintain the same shape same form 
but metaplasia, you do not maintain that same shape or same form. Okay, so these, the key term to remember this, key term to remember for this one is, is a reversible. Okay, this is a reversible. Things could kind of go back to normal. Let's say if you smoke, uh, you enjoy that lovely weed or joint that you've been smoking, and you decided, you know what, after a year, I think I'm done enough weed, uh, I'm done enough joint, so let's let's stop, let's not smoke anymore. This, you could have a metaplasia. You could have a reversible damage that you could maybe able to return to the normal. Okay, whereas dysplasia, Dysplasia is pretty much similar to metaplasia, but dysplasia is one-way ticket, okay? You are done. You're not going back. It's irreversible. Irreversible. So it's something to remember. Irreversible, okay? So get something that you cannot go back to, okay? And this could lead to cancer. So keep remember that this could lead to cancer. So metaplasia. Again, this is the uh, example of hypoplasia here. Osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is an uh, example of uh, what example would this be? What term that you would use for these? Okay. Osteoporosis. Okay. You think about these terms. These would kind of go along with atrophy. You start losing your cell. Your cell becomes thinner and thinner you, of your bone. Your bone mass goes down. Okay. Uh, osteoporosis, we're going to cover, cover more of this in the um, musculoskeleton section. Uh, musculoskeleton, we'll talk more about osteoporosis. This is something you should know, definitely. You're going to see this uh, for girls. You're going to see this for sure. Okay, uh, there's different type of changes you have. Uh, reversible, which is good. Uh, irreversible, that's called necrosis. Necrosis meaning that you actually having cell deaths. Uh, cell deaths. Okay, uh, so you seeing this damage, DNA damage, things cannot. Uh, it's not uh, beyond repair. Okay, beyond repair. You could have acute. You could have chronic. Uh, one of the examples of chronic that I put here is neurofibrillary tangles. That's part of the um, Alzheimer's disease. Okay, um, we're gonna go in and talk about some of these things, and uh, we're gonna highlight on Wilson disease because, um, and we'll talk about some of these a little bit more in detail with those chapters when we get to those chapters as well. Uh, first one is hemochromatosis. Hemochromatosis. This is when you actually have the increase the iron absorption when you're actually storing a lot of iron. Okay. The key terms for some of these would be autosomal recessive. We're gonna talk more about what that is. Autosomal recessive. Um, this is a genetic disease, truly. And what you do is you start to, uh, with the iron deposition into your body uh, everywhere. Guess what's going to happen to the serum iron level? Serum iron level going to go up, right? You think about that. Uh, it's going to go up. Same thing with ferritin, uh, uh, transferrin as well, TIBC, all of these levels are going to go up. Liver function test, your, your liver function test would go down. Your liver has to work a lot harder uh, to 
to cope with this. Uh, your glucose level is good to look at as well. Um, FSH, LH can actually be influenced by um, by your iron level. Okay, um, you will see these gray bronze skin tone uh, and other things that could uh, could lead to uh, like cirrhosis, uh, pancreas stuff. If you have iron depositing your pancreas, then you actually going to start having diabetes. Uh, your glucose level going to go up. Uh, your heart problem, uh, the iron could just be positive in your heart and valves could cause uh, val val valvular problems and your heart problem as well. Okay. Next one uh, is a huge one is called Wilson disease. We oftentimes at, uh, ask you about Wilson disease uh, quite a bit. Okay. Again, is uh, autosomal recessive something to know? Autosomal recessive. Okay. So, what happened with this disease? Before we cover any uh, signs and symptoms, let's talk about what happened in this disease first. Okay. So, normally speaking, uh, you eat food. If you eat normal food enough, uh, food that you natural food that you're supposed to eat. Okay. These food have at least one to two milligram of copper a day. That's more than plenty for your body. This is tons of copper that you need. More than what you actually need. You only need, look what you need, you only need 0.75 milligram. 0.75 milligram. So very little copper that you need in your body. Okay. And what we do is we get rid of it. Uh, if you don't, you only need one uh, 0.75. If you take in two, we would actually pee it out and poop those out. Majority of it is going to be in your poop. Okay. Majority of it is going to be in your poop. Uh, some of them goes to your puke. For the most part, you get rid of these things. You get rid of the copper. For people who have Wilson disease, okay, actually, before we talk about Wilson disease, so normally what happens in your liver, this is how your liver actually get rid of the copper, too much copper. Uh, so you have this copper, uh, copper ion coming in, okay, um, and will bind with this, what we call ATP7B. ATP7B, this little protein, okay, this protein is very important protein because this protein will actually help package some of these, uh, send these copper into, uh, into something called cellular plasmid, cellular plasmid, okay. Um, so without copper, you have this protein floating around in your liver. Without copper, it's called a app. Apple celluloplasmid, apple celluloplasmid, okay? If you bind with copper, it becomes celluloplasmid, and this will actually help you package and get rid of your uh, copper through the bile, okay? Get rid of copper through the bile. So what happened with Wilson disease? You don't have these uh, ATP7Bs. You don't have this protein ATP7B for so your copper starts to build up in your body. Your copper starts to build up everywhere in your body. Okay. Instead of uh, apple celluloplasmid, you don't have that uh, apple celluloplasmid. Um, you actually uh, will have buildup of this uh, celluloplasmid in your body. 
you have this buildup of celluloplasma in your body uh, and your copper start to kind of uh, packed into your liver cells, your hepatic cells, hepatocytes. And then when it's come too much, things start to leak out. So this thing will start to leak out into your blood and then it could go deposit into your brain. Okay, deposit into your brain. If you have a lot of copper in your brain, you could lead to dementia. Okay, this is dementia. So you could lead to dementia. You could lead to any type of movement disorder on the basement of the membrane. So the basal ganglia is actually by the basement of your membrane. So uh, you have a tract for your brain right here. It's a tract. And if you have a lot of copper deposition here, uh, you're going to see your movement become very um, static. Uh, it's not smooth, uh, so things are not quite as smooth as can be. Okay, so too much copper, it eventually will start destroying your liver as well because the more the copper leaks out, the more you actually destroying your your liver. And the other byproduct that you're gonna get, you get all of these. Um, lovely free radicals uh, you have these lovely free radicals kind of floating everywhere and then start attacking and damaging your liver cells as well okay so keep that in mind uh, that you will actually end up with cirrhosis of the liver because your liver cannot handle it anymore your liver is damaged your liver will become bigger bigger and bigger will start damaging that um, you actually will have um, not brain problem because it's actually will start to deposit inside your brain as well so you will have the brain issues um, you will see the uh, a ring in your eye which is what we call a Kaiser Pfizer ring Kaiser Pfizer ring okay Kaiser Pfizer ring so these are the rings around your eyes this is the copper that actually copper start to deposit around your iris here okay uh, you will if you test your body you will see a high level of copper obviously because it's everywhere you will see the high level of celluloplasmin celluloplasmin so these guys i think i might have it backward uh, these guys is called celluloplasmin then when it's attached to the copper when it's attached have copper attached then it actually calls it no longer celluloplasmin, it then become apple celluloplasmin. So without those copper attached, you're gonna have a higher level of celluloplasmin in your body. Your celluloplasmin level gonna go through the roofs, and that's also something we could tell that you have Wilson disease. So Yes, actually, your celluloplasmin is going to go low. I'm sorry. Your celluloplasmin going low, that means you don't have enough celluloplasmin. Actually, I was right in the first time. Um, when you actually have these apple celluloplasmin is when you actually have, um, when you have these copper carrying on it. Okay, you have copper, then it uh, then turn itself from, um, actually, Without, without copper, it's called apocelluloplasmin. Uh, with copper, it's called cellulo, celluloplasmin. So without the copper, then you're going to have lower level of celluloplasmin because you don't have copper on those. And then you're going to have a higher, le higher level of the copper there as well in your blood and also in your urine. Uh, 
So for your diagnostic tests, you should run your urine to see your copper level. You also should run your blood to see lower level of cellular plasmin and also higher level of copper. Couple of treatment uh, that you can do. Um, one is um, penicil penicillamine uh, that's um, a good anti uh, it's not an anti it's not an antibiotic property this is antihistamine type of property so this is uh, we use this to help with chelating uh, copper penicillamine is actually will combine attach itself with copper and then will get rid through the urine Okay, another one that we often use is zinc. Okay, we use zinc along with ammonium tetrathiol molybdate. Okay, so ammonium tetrathiol molybdate. So this along with zinc will combine, pick up copper, and then get rid of through urine as well. So these two are very common treatment that we use for Wilson disease and also uh, transplant. If your liver is actually not doing too well, then you definitely need a transplant. Next idea is the free radicals. Free radicals. Uh, we get free radicals all the time um, from all kinds of things. You actually have naturally in your body, there's several places that actually produce free radicals. A whole bunch of places in your body that would produce that. Okay. Um, what is free radicals? Free radicals is when the oxygen, oxygen, if you remember oxygen from your chemistry, you have the O oxygen and you have two hydrogen molecules like this. Okay, and normally oxygen will be happy, really happy when they actually are two of them together like this. Uh, the kind of think of them are holding hands and sing kumbaya so they actually are really happy stage when 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 they're in a shape in this shape okay um when any of these electrons are mis missing if any of these electrons on the hydrogen atom are missing then it's actually become a problem a huge problem so if you just look at the electron alone, so let's say if you only have one left, one electron left, uh, that's bad as well, okay? So you, you have only two left, uh, like this, also not good, and you, when you, that's called uh, hydrogen peroxide, um, okay? You have H2O2. Um, so that's hydrogen peroxide, also not good. So if you have three, also not good. So all of these can cause, uh, definitely can cause free radicals. So any, any of these are bad guys uh, that could cause havoc into your cell at any time. So when they lose that electron, when they lose these electrons from the hydrogen, uh, then become really mad, become really upset. So what do they do? Okay. Uh, this is one of the examples that, uh, that you could get the free radicals. Okay, These are the steps um, that you go from oxygen 
to water, which your body does this all the time. You're actually converting oxygen that you breathe in and convert that to water that you need. And you learn that in topic three when we talk about fluids uh, imbalance and all that stuff. Okay, so each each step of the way, going from this side to this side, this is called gain an electron. You're gaining that electron. So gain an electron, that's called redux reduction. Okay, when you gain an electron, it's called an reduction. Uh, when you lose an electron, so lose ger is gain an electron. Leo is lose an electron is called oxidation. Okay, when you lose an electron, it's oxidation. When you gain a react, react um, electron, it's called reduction. Okay, so you're reducing by gaining these electrons. You become more negative. you adding that negative, so become a negative. So any of these right here, so you can see you have one electron, so just like this guy here, super oxidized. Uh, when you have two electrons, one, two electrons become hydrogen peroxide, which is this guy here. When you have three electrons, you have already have an H here, so one, two. Uh, you have two H here, so there's two here. So two H, so two electron and one electron here, so there's three electron. That's the hydro hydroxyl radicals. So when any of these guys, let's say when MIA, so these guys could go missing. Instead of going through this process and becoming water, this guy could say, I skip out, I'm done, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm just going to take a little break. So when these guys goes out, they go crazy. They go definitely crazy. Okay, what, what can cause this? All kinds of stuff. You could have diseases that cause this, uh, cause these free radicals. Um, your body metabolism does this all the time, like in your mitochondria when you are converting oxygen, um, converting food glucose into energy, uh, the last stage, creating NADH, uh, oxidative stage. So you could create havoc there because you have these guys kind of floating around. UV light could actually cause this, definitely UV light. There's no such thing as safe tan. Um, you as anytime you get any any sun too much sun your skin even a tan you will actually cause this free radical in your body um, radiation would cause this smoking pollutions you name it so inflammation could cause this so all kinds of things causing free radicals okay and what what do they do free radicals what they do is they actually will go and trying to steal an electron from someone else so they they're in need of the electron they want to be happy they want to balance themselves out so they want to go and they usually end up going and steal the electron from someone else someone uh, especially in your cell okay sorry about this overlap picture but you could see here, this is a free radicals here that comes here. And all they need is they actually, wow, look at this. This is a phospholipid membrane. So all they do is they go and attach and steal the electron of that one of the phospholipid membrane. Once they start stealing one, then you're going to cause this chain reaction. Whereas the next one will steal to it, next one will steal their neighbor electrons. And eventually you cause your membrane your cell membrane to break down 
Okay, you cause cell membrane to break down. So when you actually poke a hole in your cells, your cell gonna die. So so all of this could cause cell death. So all of these definitely could cause cell death. So something to keep in mind. Okay, um, and to treat those, how would you actually get rid of free radicals? If you remember, uh, free radicals could be get rid of by uh, A, C, and E, A's. Okay, the vitamin A, vitamin C, and vitamin E, those are antioxidant. Antioxidant. Another one is also called glutathione. Glutathione. Okay, glutathione also is an antioxidant that could actually help with this. You do need a combination of two glutathione to actually absorb those free radicals. Um, but if you take those on a regular basis, uh, you're keeping yourself nice and healthy. You don't have too many free radicals to get rid of, okay, to damage your, your whole body. Other terms that you should know. Okay, other term you should know, and I'm just going to put it in, on the next page. It's the same term. You could actually look at it. The same term is on the next page. We'll go over these. Uh, first one, you definitely need to know apoptosis. What's the difference between apoptosis and necrosis? Apoptosis is a programmed cell's death. Programmed cell's death. That means it's actually... Um, your natural ways of your cells, things telling you goodbye, saying, I'm done, bye-bye, I'll see you later. So that's apoptosis, just saying your cells saying goodbye. Every cell in your body actually have this clock, uh, this internal clock. Um, it will start killing itself, okay? You have this uh, internal clock when it actually start terminating it themselves. Um, researchers actually with anti-aging now are trying to figure out to stop that clock. If we could stop the clock or slow down the clock, uh, your cell could live a lot longer. Okay, could live for a long, long time. Okay, as we age, uh, the quicker the program cell death will become. You can, you will have a shorter time. Your cell will live shorter and shorter as we age. So if we could figure out the key to actually stop that, uh, that apoptosis, uh, then we could live much, much longer. Next one is necrosis. That's a huge key that you need to know. Necrosis, that means your cells that's caused by all kinds of things that cause your cell to die. This is pathological. This is physiological. So physiological is apoptosis. Necrosis is pathologicals. Okay. First one to remember is coagulative. Coagulative. Just, you just, Looking at the term coagulating, you think of your blood when it's coagulating. It's kind of like gel-like. Uh, it's just a firm jelly-like kind of thing. Okay, so that's coagulative. So you could see here in the liver, you have this lovely coagulative right here. Okay, the denaturation de de um, de of protein, denature of your protein. As the same thing when you actually cook that egg, cook that egg white, uh, it turning from clear to white, that's the denature of that protein. So heat can cause that coagulative as well. Okay. Uh, remember, typically you see this in your kidney. Okay. Typically it's in your kidney. Okay. 
very commonplace. Second one is liquefactive. Liquefactive. Okay. Liquefactive. Okay. Liquefactive. Think of it like cyst uh, like. Okay. It has, it balls off. You could see here. It creates a nice little wall here. So nice and walled off itself. Okay. It's forming a cyst. So forming a cyst. So liquefactive. Uh, it kind of like a cyst. Okay, so you have a hard shell on the outside, a hard shell on the outside, and you have like a cyst kind of like, okay, cyst kind of like in the inside. Uh, caseous necrosis, caseous necrosis is the combination of the two. So you have um, hard shell on the outside, so sorry. So cases is really thick, hard shell on the outside, and you have nice and liquidy stuff on the inside. Nice and liquid stuff on the inside. So hard shell on the outside, nice liquid stuff on the inside. Okay. And you could see right here. This is very common with common in TB patients. Uh, TB patient. This is called what we oftentimes you see these right here right here so all of these this is part of tbs definitely here okay so um you have this hard shell on the outside she's like in the inside yes we like to compare it with food so um all of the pathology terms usually related to food so uh think of like chocolate that grocer chocolate you have this hard shell on the outside and uh, caramel in the inside same thing so think of that like that so this is called a gone complex gone complex so when we talk about uh tv in your lungs um, this is the gone complex uh, you have this caseous necrosis uh, inside your lungs okay tv uh, fat this is called lipid uh, or fat necrosis, lipid necrosis or fat necrosis. Uh, it just look really uh, soap-like. Okay. Uh, the other term, the term is called soaponification. Soaponification. That means soap-like. So it's really liquidy, really slippery. Uh, those are soap-like thing down here. Okay. Uh, gangrene. You guys probably seen plant gangrene before. Pretty easy to tell. Okay. Little magic trick there, you could see. Ah, finger, finger on, finger off, finger on, finger off. Okay, so those are gangrene. Uh, those are necrosis as well. Okay, uh, I would love you guys to watch this video. Uh, this video has to do with um, um, special K, uh, not special K, crocodile. Sorry, that's different drug. This is crocodile. Uh, crocodile is actually a synthetic version of opiates. Um, they use gasoline, mix it with opiates. Um, so really synthetic version. And most patients who actually, most people who use those tend to cause their arms and leg to fall off. Um, so and you could see, you could, you could see all of those, all of these uh, stuff on there and see whether you could guess which one is... Um, what are, which one is those that you actually seeing what type of necrosis you see in this video okay so and you could comment down below on the um, comment section 
see what what you come up with, what kind of uh, diagnosis you see. Okay. Cellular damage. Uh, definitely, you have the reversible versus irreversible. Irreversible is apoptosis. That means your cell going bye bye, and you have necrosis. Also, your cell is dying. Okay. So next portion is going to be regarding genetics. Genetics. Actually, I will actually create another video for the genetics. So I want to, don't want to make the video too too long. So we'll start out the second video for the genetic next time. Uh, thank you for watching. If you like this video, please make sure you hit subscribe. Also make comments down below and also uh, click that like button. And I'll see you next time in the next video. Thank you. Hi folks, welcome to chapter one, topic one. Okay, this is the basic uh, cellular biology. This is something that you definitely need to know. Uh, just kind of a review per se, because I'm sure that you had this over and over and over again throughout your courses way back when you took your nursing degree or even pre-nursing classes. Uh, this is basically the biology side of things. So, okay, let's, without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so this picture should be kind of familiar to you um, this is the picture of a cell, okay? And we're going to go over the structure of the cells, and I'm going to try to make it actually a little bit more simpler for you to start off with. Uh, if you're going to keep thinking along this line, this will help you understand and also remember the function of those cells as well and, the, and its parts, okay? So first and foremost, uh, what you want to remember is the cell is like a city, okay? The cell is kind of function like a city. This is a very bustling, hustling, and bustling type of city. Okay. Any type of city, and you think about the old days we have, uh, if you think of medieval time, middle age, when we talk about city, the thing that you're going to see in a city is city wall. Okay, uh, The cell that actually have city walls as well, and this city wall is called cell membrane. Okay, cell membrane. So that's a city wall. So you could actually just think of city wall, these around here on the outside, that's a, you know, pretty a protection because then you can know what the function of that is. It's protection from things come from going in and attacking the cells. That's the purpose of that city wall or cell membrane. Also, city wall usually you think about in the olden days you have gates into the city wall. You have different gates to go in. So this cell membrane actually have uh, gates as well. So a lot of time they uh, have receptor and protein channels that actually let the, uh, things come in and go out. But it's controlled. It's very, very controlled because there's like, you know, guards standing by the gates to make sure that the right people are actually coming in. Just like you go into a movie theater, if you don't have the ticket, uh, hopefully you're not stinking in the back. But if you don't have the ticket, you won't be able to actually go into that side of the movie theater. So same thing. So you have this cell membrane that's um, kind of sitting on the outside, protecting this lovely, lovely city. Okay, so that's the first structure that you I really want you to notice. Second structure, who's controlling this city? Okay, who is the boss of this city? Okay, so if you look at the uh, look at the middle portion, which is right here. Okay, so that's itself. Okay, is the nucleus. The nucleus. So what I what I want you to think of nucleus is like a city hall. So when you talk about city, the person who controls the city is the mayor. That's the big wig of the city. That's the that's the big boss of that city. So basically, the mayor is the boss. Okay, but mayor, you know, don't work from home. Well, aside from this pandemic, but usually they in a in a city hall. Okay, so the the, the building itself, the city hall, is the nucleus. Whereas the nucleolus, which is the center part. 
think of that like a mayor's office, an actual office of the mayor, where the mayor is kind of sitting in the comfy chair, his him or her sitting in that comfy chair, and then kind of giving people orders. So pretty much your cell work the same way. Your nucleus is the city hall, and then your nucleolus is basically the office of the mayor. Okay, and who's in, is in in this office? This is a key thing to remember because this actually show up on your test. Uh, people actually sitting in there is basically the, the mayor. Who is the mayor of this this lovely cell city? The mayor of this cell city is, you guessed it, is the DNA. Very good. So it's the DNA. Is that's the mayor of the city? That's the DNA. So the DNA kind of sit lovely inside the city, but DNA is not alone in here. Okay, DNA is not actually alone in this lovely, lovely city uh, city office. Um, DNA usually likes to order people around. So when they order people around, okay, they actually send out messages. Okay, it's messages. Uh, so let's put that in a little envelope. So send out emails. Okay, so you're gonna see the DNA in here, the mayor of the city, but also you're gonna see something called RNA. RNA is think of that like a messenger, as a message uh, that you send out to tell other people, other people what to do, pretty much. So basically, the RNA is the email which can be found in the in the nucleolus as well, in that in that mayor's office. Okay, but if you come out, if you come out from that mayor's office into the nucleus between the nucleolus and nucleus, would you be able to find the mayor? No, you won't be able to find a mayor. The only thing that you can find there is possibly RNA. RNA, the the, the email could be kind of hanging out uh, around in this area, kind of uh, part of the city hall. Okay, so the mayor always stay in his office or her office always. So the RNA, uh, I'm sorry, DNA is always stay inside that office. So you're always gonna find DNA in there. What else are you gonna find in nucleolus? You're definitely gonna find RNA, which is the messenger or the email that the uh, that the DNA is sent out to tell people what to do. Okay, so that's good. Um, so that's the nucleus, the huge part, kind of over. Um, that's the, another part, that, another huge part I just want to point out is this lovely guy here. This is the mitochondria, mitochondria, which is the powerhouse. So you could think of it as APS or SRP, depending on where you are in the city. Okay, this is the APS or SRP. They're charging you like crazy. So they, um, they're making energy. They make, they're making uh, energy for, um, for the rest of the city. They're actually giving in up. Uh, and uh, giving the city a power, giving the city power to be able to function normally. So that's mitochondria. Another lovely folks that you'd probably want to pay attention is this lovely guy here. This is called lysosome. Lysosome, yes. What is who is lysosome? Lysosome. Think of them as the waste management. Okay, waste management. So WM waste management. So these are people who are picking up garbage. Yes. So pick with without trash collector, things will get dirty uh, in town. So the trash collectors uh, will have to go around and collecting trash. So lysosome does the same thing, kind of clean up for you. Think of them like a cleanup folks. Uh, they they just want to clean up. Same thing with uh, peroxisome. Peroxisome. You, um, if you think of hydrogen peroxide, perox, um, peroxic, and that's kind of like bubbly stuff, it kind of kills stuff as well. It kind of get rid of stuff, so clean stuff as well. So these guys are the janitors of the city, waste management. Okay, so those those are the two, uh, three big ones that definitely you need to know. Uh, next one, um, we're gonna talk about the little complex here. Um, we're gonna look at all of these lovely complex and talk about 
uh, how does these actually work? And we're gonna go into a little bit more in detail. Uh, but before we do, a uh, couple of things to point out. One is called the centrioles. Centriole is very important for the cell when the cell actually divide, when uh, the cells split and creating two cells, uh, centriole actually become very important players in those, okay? And in cells, um, cell is kind of liquidy. Uh, your cells have a lot of water in them. Majority of your body actually water and the majority of the water that you have is actually inside your cells. So the cytoplasm, the cytoplasm is basically all of these water. You could think of it uh, that all of this is in a pool of water, okay, your cell. We only see like half of the cell like this because they cut it open, but in actuality, it's like a circle. Think of it like a complete circle. Uh, so you actually have this cell is full with liquid inside. Um, so things kind of swim around in this liquid. Things kind of move around in this liquid, which is good uh, and also kind of help protect your, your cell as well. If you have like foreign invader, uh, things kind of slow down if, you, if they have to swim through that liquid. So slow down a little bit. Okay, so so cytoplasm is the liquid portion of your body. So think of it like uh, like you are in a pool. Uh, all of these cells are in the pool, and pretty much uh, things are surrounded with liquid. Okay, so before we get into the, um, the lovely stuff, um, there's another complex here. This right here. This is the uh, you have the smooth endoplasmic reticulum and rough endoplasmic reticulum. So smooth ER and rough ER. What's the difference between those boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, it is basically with the smooth, you have no ribosome. With the rough, you have ribosome. The easy way to remember, rough, rough, rough ribosome, R and R. So rough ribosome, smooth, no ribosome. Okay, so rough ribosome, smooth, no ribosome. Okay, so that's just two different things. So what I want you to think about ER, the endoplasmic reticulum, is that they are just a conveyor belt, conveyor belts. Okay, so that's what they are, conveyor belts. So when the nucleus, the boss, okay, the, who is the boss? Who is the boss? Yes, the DNA. When the DNA sent out a message, which is an RNA, when the DNA sent out a message, this is a little message here, okay, this little envelope email, it will actually come out of your nucleus. So the RNA gets to come out and play outside of the nucleus, uh, come out. Well, if you are mayor, you want to kind of order your city what to do, right? And in order to order the city what to do, they have to be able to travel, to go to wherever that worker and city workers are. So they have to come out and play outside of the city home. So the first place they will go is to the uh, smooth endoplasmic reticulum. So the, just, just think of that email will kind of land it on the smooth endoplasmic reticulum and then kind of travel through that conveyor belt, kind of go all over the place. Think of Amazon, you know, when you send packets or when you buy stuff and then you have these uh, um, elaborate maze of um, conveyor belts that Amazon actually uh, sent package to different people. So same thing, this is an elaborate uh, maze of conveyor belt. And once they get to the rough endoplasmic reticulum, okay, that's when the magic happens, that's when the ribosome there, okay? So what does ribosomes do? What is the function of ribosome? If you don't remember anything, this is one of the biggest things to remember because this is the future of medicine. Future of medicine is rest right here. It's called ribosome, okay? So what, the rest, what does the ribosome do? I always think of ribosome as the um, hardworking people. They all just always work and work and work, and they only have one function, and what they do is they actually make protein. So ribosome, is protein synthesis, protein synthesis. So synthesis, fancy term for making. So it's actually they're making protein. Okay, so that's all they do. You said, wait, wait, Dr. Pundit, Dr. B, whoa, hold the truck. Why, why is that so important? Why is making protein such an important thing? Well, 
you know what? Making proteins, protein is actually a key to tell your body what to do. If you want to increase your temperature, if you want to decrease your temperature, if you want to actually make more red blood cells, if you want to decrease your red blood cells, it's all protein message. And these protein will tell other cells, communicate to other cells in your body saying, hey, let's get together and let's do this. Okay, uh, we, we are low on blood, we are low on uh, red blood cells, we are low on platelet, we need to make more. So that's what these protein does. Okay, so, and now we are at the point, science and medicine at the point that we can replicate and make these proteins. Uh, we kind of jump away from the genetic portion because we can't really change the genetic, but we could make proteins and tell, kind of tell your body what to do by using, making those proteins. Okay, so that's what the ribosome does. Uh, ribosome actually makes protein, um, create these protein. Okay, so the protein when they are done, okay, they'll travel these through these conveyor belt. They're gonna come to this little guy here. Once the protein is actually been made, um, the finished product looks like this, and we'll go in more detail a little bit more uh, later on in terms of uh, the protein. So when the protein, when when ribosome makes protein, they make it like this. It's just making a straight protein. But the problem with protein is. Uh, it has to be packaged, just like when you order, let's say you order a pink, uh, hot pink um, G-strings from Amazon. Okay, you order hot pink G-string from Amazon. Amazon would not just come and throw the hot pink G-string in front of your door, right? That would be kind of weird. Uh, they have to package it first. They actually have to put in the package so that... Um, that the cat could be delivered in front of your house into the box. So same thing, these protein are not ready to go out. They are not ready to be sent out to other cells. Uh, they have to be packaged. So the guys who's packaging this is Golgi apparatus. So think of Golgi, it's like UPS. Think of them like FedEx, they think of USPS, which is kind of in trouble right now. So. Uh, so think of them like UPS, uh, FedEx, all of those folks. So they package thing for you. They package these protein for you. Okay. So think of them that way. Okay. So you, they actually fold the protein. They fold it into like three or four times. So into a what we call a tertiary and quaternary fold. So it's actually into four, four different folds. Okay. So when it when the pro protein is get packaged, it's actually ready to be sent out and travel out outside of the cell to communicate to other cells. Okay, so think of these guys is a huge uh, packaging uh, facility. So think of UPS, FedEx, USPS. Okay, so we pretty much kind of flash through the whole entire cell function. There's still a couple of things that are missing, and uh, we're going to go into that detail a little bit more. Uh, just a few key things. Uh, cilia is kind of help movement of the cell microfilaments as well help with movement of cells. Sometimes you have microvilli, also could help absorbing things, uh, vesicles or holes that kind of release, release our stuff. So there's these little functions uh, that uh, you don't have to worry about those. Okay, As long as you kind of get the bigger picture right now, that's what I want you to do, is kind of getting a bigger picture of what's going on in the cell. That is wonderful. Okay. So we covered some of these already. If, if you kind of think in this term, then it become a little bit easier for you. So like for instance, uh, remember cytoplasm is the liquid in the stuff, the liquid inside the cell. So this, uh, the liquid kind of help move things around. So it also provides structure of the cell. So you think of like a cell is kind of like a balloon, a water balloon. So you put tons of water, that's the cytoplasm that's inside a balloon. It actually helps kind of maintain structure. Without, without the water, then, then you have these flat uh, balloons that actually have nothing in it. So this actually provides a structure for the cell. Uh, what, does, what is the it does a lot of things. Remember, it actually moves stuff. So it's synthesis and transport. It isolates and eliminates waste, so getting rid of stuff. Okay, Metabolic process, so when things come in like nutrients and things like that, uh, they actually help process with those. Um, maintain cellular motility, so make sure that they could squeeze through certain spot, uh, move things around, So and also maintain storage if you need any type of um, 
keep you know, to keep certain uh, nutrients or whatnot. Uh, ribosome again. Remember what what is ribosome? Ribosome is the hard worker, and these folks, uh, this is a frontline worker. Uh, these folks that actually are keep making stuff. And what do they make? They make proteins. So it's protein synthesis. So huge one to remember. Huge. Uh, so we're gonna talk more about that a little bit later on. But they use RNA, so the RNA will end up with them, and with that message, uh, that email message. Okay, RNA is that email. So that email message get to ribosome. Ribosome is several little thing. Oh, there we go. It goes through that ribosome, and ribosome create protein chain, uh, create another protein chain basically uh, that cause from the message going through. Okay, so they make a message. What is endoplasmic reticulum? Now you know what is endoplasmic reticulum. Yes, they just a conveyor belt. Uh, they just uh, the site of protein synthesis. This is where the ribosome actually house. So it's just kind of moving things along. Okay, they just move things along. What's the differences between smooth and rough? Yes, so smooth has no ribosome. Rough has ribosome. Rough, rough, rough ribosome. Yeah. So Golgi, what is Golgi apparatus cell complex? Well, they are FedEx, UPS. What do they do? They you guessed it, folks. Uh, they package and they package things. They package protein. Okay, they specialize in packaging those protein. Uh, they also do other things as well. They actually uh, produce vesicles. Okay, and also helps uh, flatten and smooth the membranes. But the main key that you should remember this is what they always put. They, they always put always uh, always put this uh, in um, in the question. Usually, it's the package. Okay, you see the word package, circle ribosome. Okay. I'm sorry, go circle Golgi complex. Okay, when you see the word package, packaging protein. Okay, so let's see. Next, uh, we have lysosome. Lysosome. Think of Lysol. Okay, Lysol. When you use Lysol at home, what do you do? You kill bacteria. You kill viruses. Uh, these are waste management folk, right? Waste management. So they kill stuff. So uh, they have auto digestion, auto troph, auto. I can't say autophagy. Autophagy. Uh, basically. Killing stuff, just cleaning out stuff. They actually grab things and get rid of things, so they grab things and lice things, basically break it down. Okay, um, kind of like uh, in in later, uh, basically just kind of breaking things up and uh, destroying things. Okay, um, peroxisome, pretty much again, peroxisome is just similar function to lysosine for uh, intensive purposes. Uh, very, they have oxidative enzyme, pretty much kind of bubbles and make. Um, Causing things to break, so big break. Um, also, clean up stuff, clean clean up crew. Mitochondria we mentioned uh, that is actually give energy. They produce ATPs. Um, ATP is energy for your cells. Okay, ATP is energy for your cell. We're gonna talk about ATP a little bit more. Um, cytosol, cytosol, um, basically is the the liquid, semi-liquid portion in your cytoplasm, semi-liquid portion. Uh, so your whole cytoplasm is not completely water, waterly like. Uh, this is just kind of a little more thickening to it, as gelatinous to it. So there's like little think of it those one of those gooey thing um, inside your cell. So to give a little bit more structure inside your cell, uh, help help your ribosome to uh, to make these protein as well, and then act as storage as well. Okay. Um, you have cytoskeleton. Those those are basically the backbone of your of your cell to kind of give the framework. Think of it like you create any dome structure when you create any um, buildings. You actually need some type of uh, you know steels um, that actually for those buildings, especially for sky sky riser. So uh, you need these little beam to um, to give a little shape to the building. And same thing with these. Um, when you inside your cell, you need these little uh, frame of work to kind of give your cell a little bit more structure to the cells. Okay, 
Uh, and there's different uh, things that it does, like microtubules, they have microfilaments. Uh, all of these uh, give a little bit more structure to the cells. Plasma membrane, we talked about that already. This is where the city wall is, the cell membrane, plasma membrane. Um, give a little uh, structure from the outside. One thing you do need to know, okay, you need to know with the plasma membrane or cell membrane is that this is a phospho, phospho lipid bilayer, okay, bilayer, okay. So phospho does mean it actually has phosphate in them, lipid does mean it has fat in them, and then is you have two layers of those, okay. So where is the phosphate? The phosphate is here on the top okay this is where the hydrophilics they love water these guys love water but they have a lipid tails which is they hate water so these guys like oh i'm just like cats i don't like water i just don't want to be in water so these these guys don't do well with water so if you notice uh, they actually line up um, in bilayer you have two layers you have one layer here and you have a second layer here um, this love water because your body is filled with water both from the inside and outside inside your cell it has water in them outside your cell you have water in them so you don't want to actually expose your lipid on the other way which is kind of amazing design because then you have the side that love water touch the water and you have the side that hates the water stay in the middle what this does is it actually prevents certain hormone uh, if you have the water soluble hormones water soluble hormone cannot come in because it cannot go through the lipid portion of it okay they cannot go through the lipid portion of it but if you have a lipid hormones uh, lipid hormone love this because this is going to slip right through pretty easily they actually could slip right through pretty easily okay so we'll talk more about that when we get to the, uh, the endocrine section but for now all you have to do remember this is a phospholipid bilayer because you have two layers and you have a head of the phosphate which is love water and the tail of the uh, lipids hate water completely so how the cells stay together okay this is another uh, things that you learn back in bio 201 so how does cells stay together there's different ways that cells stay together one is called adherence desmosome and hemidesmosome so those are the three things uh, that they actually help in terms of the attachments okay adherence is basically think of them um, like just a rubber band just kind of tied it together you have this little kind of zip tie that tie them all together that's the adherence so like you kind of adheres like sear it like using heat to kind of seal things okay so that's um, that's what the adherence is whereas desmosome desmosome you actually have more of an anchor you actually have like a little button and you actually anchors through you have this little thing like little welding think of like little weld they just weld through make sure they all stay together nice and tight a hemi desmosome hemi under the hands Mean is half that uh, you actually uh, you know hemi is mean half so what you have is you actually have half of that on the bottom you somewhat you're not connecting on two sides you're only connecting to one side and they usually is the anchors down to the bottom part of the membrane of the cells so kind of make sure that cell won't fly off into the air which is nice uh, you know your skin won't fly off all of a sudden okay so those are the three things that you should know for your exam okay also junction complex things that how they communicate uh, they have tight junction they have gap junctions uh, they have uh, desmosome so tight junction is meaning that you have these little holes just tiny little holes kind of things kind of squeeze through those holes to communicate communicate to one another so that's a tight junction the gap junction think of it like a window you have a window that you open up to your next door neighbor like hey next door hey neighbor how are you doing and you could pass on thing you could pass on chemicals you could pass on different messages through those um through those windows so the, the, the gap junction is a lot bigger things actually do get go back and forth to communicate whereas the tight junction is so small it's more like a leak uh, kind of 
um, homeostasis, kind of keeping things in balance. If one is too much, then things kind of leak out to kind of stay, keep things in balance. Okay, and also you have gates as well to kind of open up, just completely open up from one side to the other side. Uh, how does the cell? There's different ways to how the cell you communicate to one another, and I mentioned a few of these already. Um, there's a paracrine signaling, autocrine signaling, hormone signaling, neurochromonal, neurotransmitter, and chemical synapses. Um, so with uh, paracrine, paracrine is the local hormone. So think of them. Um, okay, so gap junction. Uh, you talk about gap junction. Gap junction. Okay, gap junction only communicate to one of your neighbor. You only communicate to your, to your next door neighbor. So you gap. You only send information to your next door neighbor. Whereas paracrine, paracrine is like you sending information throughout your whole entire neighborhood on your street. So your whole entire neighborhood on your street know about this guy. Know about this event that's coming up. So know about whatever that information you want to communicate. The whole neighborhood knows it. So this is what we call paracrine. Uh, kind of local area cover the whole entire local area. Autocrine, on the other hand, is a little bit for more specific to the uh, system. Uh, it's actually a, a signaling that actually tell what each system does, okay? Whereas hormonal, hormonal is basically, uh, it affects your whole entire body. It's not just one thing, it's actually your whole entire body. Neurohormonal is basically from your brain. Your brain actually start releasing hormones. And one of them is would be posterior pituitary gland. Your posterior pituitary gland will actually release hormones like oxytocin and ADH to tell your whole body what to do. And neurotransmitter, you guys remember it, is how your, your nervous system, your nerve uh, communicating to one another. Okay, your nerve communicating to one another. That's the neurotransmitter. And whereas chemical synapses is aside from the neurotransmitter, you might have other chemicals, other things that you want to communicate in there. You have other things that are actually going through, like at the neuromuscular junction, like you have acetylcholine to tell your muscle to move, uh, to, to contract, things like that. Okay, so different example of how your body communicate to one another. Okay, let's get to. Um, a few terms like anabolism, you guys should know. Break uh, energy is uh, using catabolism. Cat likes to break things. Anna likes to build. So Anna, you're making energy, whereas uh, catabolism, you're breaking things down, and energy is is release. Uh, so you're breaking stuff up. So cat breaks stuff. Anna built stuff. When when you build stuff, it requires energy. It requires currency. You need to pay someone to make things for you, build for you. So you you give ATP. ATP just think of ATP like a currency for your cells. Your cell don't use dollars. Your cell don't use uh, any money. So they use ATP. So basically, that's the currency in your body. So when you Anna build stuff, or Anna, you need to pay Anna. So basically, they will you have to pay them, pay Anna in form of. Uh, of money or ATP. Same thing with cat catabolism. Cat likes to break things down. When you break things down, you create energy. Uh, second law of physics: energy always uh, conserve. No matter what you do, once you break things, there's you know you get energy back. We talk about role of ATP. Role of ATP is uh, the energy that we use in our body. So ATP is almost like a currency uh, that you actually use uh, throughout your whole body. When, when you want to get into your cells, when you want to do things, how your cell actually could keep going is because of ATP. Without ATP, your cell actually could be completely dead. Okay, so how do we get that energy? We actually get that energy from food that we eat. Okay, food that we eat. In order for us to actually use the energy, we we need to have some food or something to come in to actually cause that energy. And one of the main things uh, for biology is basically uh, when we talk about food, we talk about plants or trees. So tree usually this is how they get their energy. They get energy from the little thing called the sun. 
Okay, not little, but pretty big. So it's energy from the sun. This is what in a form of what we call photosynthesis. So the sun provides the uh, energy to the tree. The tree actually converting using the heat from the sun, the light from the sun, converting that into a molecule called glucose. So carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. So C6H12 and O6. So that carbohydrate is actually storing in the tree in the leaves and the tree, because the tree actually using photosynthesis to convert that energy, converting that energy to glucose. Okay, and when we eat plants, uh, we actually converting. So when we human, uh, okay, human, when we were to consume those plants and eat those plants, uh, we actually taking the carbohydrate here and converting that, changing that into a form of energy uh, that we actually use in our body. Okay, so energy is always transferred. It's the second law of Newton, uh, second law of physics. Energy are always transferable. So basically, the energy from the sun was first transferred into carbohydrate into plants, and then again, it transferred from plants, uh, those glucose carbohydrate, then transfer uh, into your body to actually uh, provide your body with energy throughout your whole body. Again, a transferring of energy and storing of energy. So storage, your your body actually will keep those and store those energy in those in your cells. Okay. Uh, basically, that's how food works. Uh, you actually eat food, you digest food, you have glycolysis, basically breaking the big carb down uh, to a simple structure of a couple of glucose. Okay, glycolysis actually happen. Uh, will happen right outside. Uh, happen right outside of your mitochondria. So glycolysis is right on the border on the outside of your mitochondria. This is, this is breaking the big stuff down into a smaller uh, usable stuff uh, to a smallest unit, glucose. Okay, uh, That ready to, to break and actually converting glucose into something called pyruvate. Okay, pyruvate. So in this process, uh, changing the glucose form into something that uh, that your body could actually break it, create energy. Okay, so pyruvate. This happened right outside of, just right outside on the border, on the outer layer of the mitochondria. And then you have this something called citric acid cycle. Citric acid cycle, this is converting that pyruvate into, uh, into energy, into ATP. Okay, ATP and NADH. So that's the form that citric cycle actually will produce, actually will produce energy. And this is in a, um, toward the inner uh, layer of membrane of the uh, of your mitochondria. And then you go into os oxidative phosphorylation or uh, electron transport chain. Uh, this is to happen inside in the membrane of the mitochondria where you're actually converting the uh, NADH, uh, converting that into ATP or energy, more with more energy. Okay, so three steps. Basically, uh, going from the glycolysis from the outside using glucose breaking down the pyruvate citric cycle, uh, citric acid cycle or TCA, then uh, breaking those pyruvate, creating energy from the pyruvate, and then ox oxidative phosphorylation, converting this NADH, uh, removing the hydrogen, um, giving the energy from the removing that hydrogen. Passive versus active transport. That's passive means simply does not require energy. Active, you use energy. Okay, you need ATP to actually make things happen. Uh, just think of this like doors. Um, you know, if you're gonna go through certain doors, certain things. Uh, some doors are free. You could just walk in and out without paying any money. And some door you have to pay money to get in. Okay, like going to the theater, going to you know concert, things like that. Before you could get in those gate, you have to pay them. Okay, so active transport require energy. 
uh, basically you require energy whereas uh, passive you don't really require that energy at all so if you need energy to actually move things uphill or causing things to uh, to go against the flow then you need to kind of pay up you know you need because people are going to work for you people are going to put in that energy and work for you then you really have to pay up those those things okay so transport basically going from inside to outside in outside to inside things that um could, if it go with the flow, then you don't need energy, but um, you don't need uh, ATP. And if um, it goes against the flow, you require work, require energy, then you would put energy in. Okay. So uh, example, passive transport, you have diffusion. Diffusion is basically going from the greater uh, level of concentration to a lower level of concentration. So from a higher concentration to a lower concentration. Okay, so I always think of this as like waterfall. You know, you, when you, every time you see waterfall, you're seeing this uh, water going from the high level of concentration going to the lower level of concentration. It's always that way. Um, if you ever find a waterfall that's actually going from lower level of concentration going up to high, let me know. Um, we might be rich. So, um, so basically, you go from the high higher level. So this is not correct. So higher level of concentration to lower level of concentration. That's a passive transport and you have filtration filtration is basically we talking about uh, hydrostatic pressure hydrostatic pressure is referring to your artery we're going to talk more about that in topic three okay hydrostatic pressure is pressure that's actually pushing things out okay pushing things out from your uh, blood vessels so the way I remember it is hydrostatic is high, like hydraulics. Hydraulics, when you take your car to mechanics, they put your car in hydraulics. So the hydraulics pushes things up, pushes things out. Okay, push hydraulic, push it so it pushes stuff out from your, your vascular system. Okay, so hydraulic pushes push things out. Um, osmosis, osmosis pretty much the same as diffusion, but this one is only referring to water, only referring to water. So it's still going to move from the high level to low level as well. So high level of concentration to low level of concentration, just like the waterfall, okay, the water falling from the higher level to low, low, lower level. Okay, so osmosis, uh, pretty much the same idea, same concept with diffusion. Now it's a big thing that to discuss is osmolarity and versus osmolarity. Okay, so remember this right here is Larry. Okay, Larry uh, versus Lali. Okay, la la la. So Lali, la la la. So osmolarity, osmolarity. Okay, osmolarity is pretty much think of these two terms. You have the same uh, nominators. Okay, numerators on the top. You have number on the top divided by number on the bottom. Number on the top divided by a number on the bottom. Number on the top is pretty much the same as the osmo. Okay, the number on the top is the same. Basically, it's how much solute you actually have in that solution. The concentration of the solute. Okay, so let's say you have the liquid here, liquid here. You have solute. So how much solute is kind of dissolved in that solvent? Okay, so osmo is um, how much solute is actually in your liquid. Okay, how much stuff you have in your liquid, like salt per se. You have your salt here that ready to be dissolved in these in this water. Okay, so that's the osmo is the salt portion of it. Uh, how much you have salt in there. And the bottom portion, this is the difference comes in. The bottom portion, uh, osmolarity, Larry is liter. Okay, Larry is liter uh, with the R. Okay, so when you think of liter, uh, it's N with an R. Okay, I know sometimes you think of Larry, you should think start with now, but both of them have now um, an R. 
So Larry, um, Larry is the liter, whereas Lolly is uh, kilogram. Okay, Lolly is kilo kilogram. Okay, so how how is this different? Is if you actually think of this liquid here, okay, uh, when you have liquid inside the cup, uh, the osmolarity osmolarity changes if you actually increase the temperature, you actually create that fire. Um, the, the solution um, could actually expand the the liter. Uh, once you actually let's say you have ice in here, you have tons of ice, and you start to heat up, the ice start to melt. And guess what happened to the liquid in terms of the volume of the liters? So the volume could actually goes up, potentially goes up, because um, because of these ice actually start to dissolve. So you actually be having more uh, volume in there. Whereas osmolarity, osmolarity is no matter how much temperature you have, it doesn't actually change the weight of the water. The water weights stay consistently the same. Okay, and this is why we use this one more so in medicine. Uh, and we base on base this one uh, when we talk about your serum osmolarity as your urine osmolarity uh, we're referring to this one okay so this is something to keep uh, keep in mind uh, you're going to see this uh, again uh, in your topic three so uh, keep in mind there's a difference between osmolarity and osmolarity and basically it's the liter versus the kilogram okay the liter end with an r osmolarity also end with an r okay larry end with an r um, kilogram end with an l Osmolarity. Okay. Um, this is the key things that you definitely need to know because you're gonna see this in your exam. Okay, the differences between isotonic versus hypertonic and hypotonic. Okay. Isotonic. Iso mean the same. Iso, same. Okay. Hyper too much. Hypo is too low. Okay, too low. So isotonic meaning that you have the same solution. If you actually put your cell, your cell in uh, isotonic water, your cell will stay the same because it doesn't change. So when we give you a saline solution, um, normal saline, that's the same concentration uh, with the particles. So your particle will not change, your blood cell will not shrink. Okay, but if you have hypertonic, okay, hyper meaning that you have more pressure to putting more pressure, you have more solute pressuring um, the cell. You have more pressure to the cell, the cell would actually shrink. The cell become uh, will become smaller. Whereas hypotonic, if you have a hypotonic solution, uh, the cell become bigger uh, because you have less fewer pressure. You have a very little pressure to the uh, to to the to the cell. The cell actually swell up, and then if it really feel uh, feel pressure, the cell could burst. But that has to be a really extreme case. Okay, really have to be extreme case. Uh, so think of this. Um, think of this. So if you have, uh, if you let's say you go into this uh, Gilligan's Island, you go doing this uh, two hours tour, and then all of a sudden you get stuck on this island or in the middle of the ocean, and you have no water, and you start deciding, okay, I'm so thirsty, let's just drink on the ocean water. If I drink on the ocean water, ocean water is the seawater is the hypertonic solution, hypertonic solution. So if you were to drink the ocean water, what happened to your cell? Your cells start to shrink. Okay, your cells start to shrink, your blood cells start to shrink, and you still become even thirstier, actually become more thirsty uh, when you actually drink hypertonic solution. Okay, so when you become, um, you're going to become a lot more, uh, a whole lot more thirsty when you actually drink uh, sea ocean water. Okay, so that's, that's when you drink uh, hypertonic solution, and you could, you're going to go crazy because your cell is going to be starving to death, and your cell becomes smaller as well.
Whereas hypotonic solution, hypotonic solution, that means your cell actually need water. Can you think of example that we have? The good example is Gatorade. Gatorade, people think, whoa, 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 back the truck up, Dr. Pandit, Dr. P, yo, yo. Well, Gatorade has nutrients in it, it has electrolytes, yes, it has electrolytes. But the Gatorade is actually a hypotonic solution. Hypotonic solution, which means that when you drink Gatorade, a lot of time, your cells become bigger, a whole lot bigger, so it will actually help replenish uh, the water that you actually lose inside your body. Okay, so that's the hypotonic solution. So active transport was a difference. Active transport required ATP, use of ATP. Um, again, sim simply put, uh, one of the things that it does is they have the sodium potassium pump, which is kind of controlling the sodium and potassium going inside and out of your cells. Uh, endocytosis is taking stuff in. Um, you have pinocytosis, uh, which is ingestion into the into the into the cells. Uh, phagocytosis, which is large molecule, is kind of think of them like Pac-Man. I always think of phagocytosis. I always think of phagocytosis is like Pac-Man. You actually have one big guy uh, chomping down on the other smaller guy. Okay, chomping down on that smaller guy. So that's the phagocytosis. Uh, pretty easy to remember. So macrophage does this all the time, where they eat up on a on the virus or bacteria. Okay. So that's phagocytosis. Uh, endocytosis. You have these different uh, type of mediated uh, things that you should uh, kind of have an idea on. Just kind of general idea. Exocytosis is when you kind of kick stuff out when you don't need things anymore and you just kind of release it into the wild. That's uh, exocytosis. Okay, so now we're gonna shift gear a little bit and going into kind of review from back uh, from your um, bio two hundred one that actually talk about action potential. Um, with the action potential, what you need to remember is this little tiny graph here. Okay. Okay. So just remember th remember this graph. Okay, as action potential. So when you're going up, you're going up that roller coaster ride. You're going up, that's called depot, okay? Depot. This depolarization, depolarization. So things kind of charging up. Um, when you go to Home Depot, you kind of charge up your class. Um, you just um, kind of max out the credit, you just max out your credit card. So take it to the limit, yes, just like the Eagles. Uh, take it to the limit, okay? So that's the depot. You actually go, it's depolarization. It's actually you're charging up uh, yourself, okay? Uh, once you hit the threshold potential, threshold potential is where it's go no go signal like NASA. You have go no go launch, and this is where uh, where you definitely gonna go. If you don't hit this part, no go. If you pass this part, you definitely gonna go. Okay, um, all men kind of know this. Um, we kind of know how that feels. So when you get to that certain point, it's a go time. Go time. Yep, no stopping. It's a go time. So. Repo is coming down, okay? Like when you get your car repo, you're feeling down, things is kind of coming down, and you're just feeling depressed because you, your car being repossessed, okay? Repossessed, in this case, is repolarization is coming down. So you, this is charging up, this is charging down, it's coming down, okay? Uh, then you go into the refractory period. This is the refractory period. That means nothing is going refactory. It has to return you to your factory. So return you to your, everything to factory, nothing is working. So men does this as well. Once you go, once you hit that climax, once you hit that orgasm, no going for a while. This is done. You close the shop for a while until you get ready again. So that's refactory period. Same, works the same way, exactly the same way, same concept, the same graph as well, okay, for men. 
So basically, refactoring period. This is whereas no go honey, uh, no more, no mass. Uh, I'm just tired um, tonight. So and that's it. So that's the refactoring period. And you have the absolute and relative. Absolute does mean no way, Jose. This is it. This is don't even touch me. I'm not. It's, it's done for tonight. Okay, it's not going up anymore. Uh, relative is maybe if you if you really if you really want it, it maybe. Okay, that's the relative. Okay, and then you have the uh, hypopolarization and hyperpolarization. Um, basically, that's the state of yourself. You know, your state of being. Uh, Excited, which is hyperpolarization, and hypo is basically coming down. Okay, uh, hyper is just kind of exciting the cell. Okay, and then you go get back to the uh, resting potential, which is the resting potential RP. Okay, so hopefully this kind of jog your memory and kind of make it a little easier as well, kind of more colorful as well. Um, so this is basically a picture of your neuron, your axon, and your neurons. When you ha uh, have these, when you want to send signal in your neuron, telling your body what to do or thinking, uh, then you have these uh, crossing, crossing of the sodium and potassium pump, uh, going in and out. Uh, when you actually resting potential, uh, sodium usually stay outside of your cell. You have tons of sodium outside. As when you, if you remember, your sodium values is higher, is one forty, whereas potassium usually inside your cell. That's why the number is lower at three point five. So. But if you actually find look at potassium in your cell, potassium number in your cell is going sky high in the hundreds, whereas sodium in your cell is very low, uh, three to two or three as well. Okay, it's the opposite. So when it's go time, the sodium will go in, okay, uh, kind of charge up, become depole, depole. And when you hit that peak, and when it starts to come down to going down to repole, then you actually have potassium exchange as well going up. Okay, and then it kind of stabilizes when everything get back to normal. Now we're gonna take a talk about the uh, the principle um, of biology of cells. Okay, um, the reproduction of cells, your cell cycles. This is the basic of cells. Okay, your cell cycle divided in this way. Um, you have G one. Okay. Okay. So you have G one. Uh, you have S phase. You have G two, and then you have this lovely phase in the middle right here that transition into what we call a mitosis that occur right here okay so wait 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 uh, what is this all about okay so when you cell okay when your cell born or divided okay your cell go through in these phases okay definitely going through these phases um so g think of g is grow growing once your cell divided right here your cells actually start to grow so G1 is growing for the first time. S means that your cells start to making double of your DNA, your chromosome. Okay, uh, it's actually double the chromosome. So if you always remember, the chromosome looks like this. You actually have um, two portion of your chromosome, uh, just like the little X there. Okay. So what what happened is normally your chromosome looked just like this, only one side, only one sided. But when it happened at G, at the S portion, the S portion make a copy of that so then you actually have uh, the, the the x shape that's happened at the s portion so your cell actually double it double those chromosomes so that's why we have 23 uh, 23 pair of 46 chromosome inside your body 
G2, right here, G2 means it's grow a little bit more. Once you actually uh, double your chromosome, you want to kind of grow a little bit more, getting a little bit bigger. So this is, think of it like adolescent stage. This is more the, the mature state, the adult, adult stage. And that's when it, you're ready to reproduce, okay? You replicate or reproduce. Uh, so this is when you um, you could think of marry and have kids. Uh, so then you want to think of it that way, that's fine. So your cell basically, they don't marry themselves pretty much. They they could they could reproduce by themselves. So they marry themselves, they split themselves into into two. So G1 grow as uh, DNA replication, making more DNA. So double it, double down the bed. So you have 23, 23 now it's 46 chromosome. And G2 grows on more and then go into the into the um, phase of, of making more cells. Okay. The phase of making more cells to easy to remember is PMATC. Um, Technically, is P-M-A-T-C, um, P-M-A-T, okay? So P, P is in prophase. Prophase, uh, you're going to see the prophase is when the the envelope of nucleus has become kind of lighter. It almost kind of disappear. But then you're going to see very clearly it's called condensation. So this is the key term to remember, condensation of the DNA, okay, of the chromosome. So condensation of chromosome happen right here, whereas your chromosome kind of get denser and you, you actually could be able to see it in the microscope. When you look into in, in the microscope, you're like, wow, now I could see it. That's called condensation of the chromosome. So uh, so the, the nucleus envelope start to disappear. The um, the centrioles start to going apart, start to developing the uh, the pole, the spindles uh, to actually separate them. Okay, and the envelope is gone and now you have condensation. The, the key things is the condensation of your chromosome. Metaphase, met, meta or met. So always remember, just like a junior high school dance. So meta is meet in the middle. So your chromosome meets up in the middle. So they line up like little junior high school dance, uh, like junior prom dance, homecoming dance, in right in the middle of the basketball court. So they actually meet up in the middle. So meta, meet up in the middle. Anna, Anna is going away. So Anna meaning that these are start to pulling away from one another. So they actually further apart. So these chromosomes are further apart. They say bye-bye to one another. Like, oh no, nice to meet you. Uh, and we're going apart. So Anna going apart. And then telophase. Telophase is way on the other end. So they actually, these chromosomes are way on the other end. And now you start to see what's what we call cleavage. Yes, not the, not the breast, uh, but the cleavage of the cells. That's when you have these little dip, the cells start to divide itself. So tele, tele, telophase, just think of they're so far from each other, they have to telephone each other. So Anna's, Anna is going away, tele, telephase is they just so far, they have to phone each other, they have to call each other by phone. Okay, and the C, which they don't list here, is called cytokinesis. That means you're actually creating a brand new cells. You you're making a brand new cell, and then the cell go back to that cycle again. The G one uh, G uh, G one S and then G two. One thing I do want to mention is that certain cells that actually do not go through these, they go through G zero. Okay, so there are certain cells that do not replicate. Uh, certain cells uh, do not make uh, make up themselves. Um, there are some cells in your body, like your uh, you, uh, the uh, back of uh, the back of your eyes, uh, your lens, your eyes uh, do not replicate. Certain muscle cells do not replicate. So uh, your nervous system, depending on who you ask, depending on when you ask, the research keep going back and forth. 
20 years ago, they said, no way, your nervous system does, uh, your nerve cell do not replicate. 10 years ago, five years ago, they said, oh yeah, it does somewhat, but very slow rate. More recent research saying, nope, it's not again. So it kind of going back and forth. So um, some people do believe that they do replicate in a very small rate. Some people saying it's more neuroplasticity, not the fact that they grow it, but yet your neurosurgeon, a lot of neurosurgeons actually using glue um, to to kind of bond the, the nervous, nervous system together. And for some miraculous reason, they work. Uh, they actually start functioning again. So I'm not sure whether that's contribute to growing of the cells or they just kind of find that neuroplasticity where they find more new cells to communicate. Okay. Um, so growth factor, you might want to know the cytokine. So it's the growth factor. You have the different type of growth factors there to help the cell actually grow. Okay. And your cell... Uh, like I mentioned in the other video that you have the apoptosis, uh, the, the timing of the cell death, death your cell kind of keep going through that cycle until it actually have this clock, internal clock to stop doing it and then it will actually trigger that clock. Uh, good news is we actually uh, come close to that solution that we could actually turn off the clock. So the cell could actually live a little bit longer. So we, we are finding ways, solutions that um, could actually slow down aging and then turn off those clock inside your cells. So a cell is the very sm the smallest uh, structure of your body, uh, aside from atom. You go from atom, then you have uh, molecules, a whole bunch of molecules actually make cells. Cell then actually, a whole bunch of cell makes tissues. Uh, tissues, you have different type of tissue like muscle, neurons, epithelial connective tissue, and then you have uh, stem cells. Uh, those are the cells that kind of make to wherever, whatever cell they want to make, So which is lovely cells, um, great potentials. So epithelial cells, think of epithelials are the top layer cells. These are the usually on the top, connect to the outside. So anything that connects to the outside, think of epithelial cells, okay? So even inside lining of your lungs, inside lining of your gut, your GI, that's technically connecting to the outside because you breathe in, you actually eat stuff. So that's connecting to the outside. So all of that's covered with, with um, epithelial cells, okay? Some of them, some of them actually have cilia, uh, like in your stomach. Uh, microvilli help to reabsorb food. Um, your lungs, your trachea actually have cilia to actually help move stuff up. Um, your pathogens is prevent them from going down. We'll talk more about that later. Um, functions, uh, they do a lot of things like protection, absorption, secretion, so all kinds of stuff. Connective tissue, this is more ground substance. This is right in the middle, so your collagens, your bone, all of these are connective tissues. Your, um, you have loose and you have dense. Your blood vessel, your fat, all of those organs are connective tissues. Uh, giving you flame, um, uh, framework to your body, your new organ, helping binding stuff. Your muscle tissue, your muscle tissue is basically composed of myocytes. Myocytes are your muscle cells. Your muscle tissue are divided into three type of different type of muscle tissues. You have smooth muscle, you have skeleton muscle, and you have cardiac muscle. Your smooth and cardiac muscle, they both involuntary. Okay, involuntary. That's mean they work by itself they don't need anyone else to tell them what to do they just happily work on their own okay whereas a skeleton is the voluntary muscles so you think of it your cardiac is basically your heart muscle your heart actually pump by itself your skeleton is your muscle in the in your body okay oh, attempt of drawing an arm uh, so your muscle in your body you your body work by itself and whereas your smooth your smooth is your internal organ your gi tract your blood vessels uh, so basically also work by itself in your blood vessel you have muscle in there that help contracting your blood vessel as well so function basically is a contractile tissue it's causing things to contract 
okay uh, so basically causing things to contract so move the, moving things along or using it in terms of power and lifting stuff okay, okay. Let's see. Next one is your neurons, your neural tissue. Your neural tissue, you have neurons, synapses, cell body, axon, dendrites, neurotransmitter. All this is just to send information from one spot to another spot in a speedy kind of way. So we will, we will talk a lot, whole lot more about neural tissue in neurology. So very specific chapter for that, so you don't have to worry. Uh, the rest of the questions uh, that you guys could take a look, uh, you have the key to the answer to all of these questions. Okay. Um, so... Welcome to take a look at these. Pretty, fairly easy. And this is it. Okay. So thank you so much for watching, and I'll hope to see you in the next video. Hi, folks. Uh, welcome to the second part of the topic one video. Uh, we're going to spend a little time on genetics, okay, to help you understand genetics. And I know uh, you probably had these uh, before, just kind of. This should be kind of refresher, I hope, uh, to kind of remind you a few things about genetics. Okay, without further ado, let's get to it. So uh, this is an overview. Um, hopefully you know this already. Uh, we have about 26,000 uh, different chromosome combinations. Uh, Technically speaking, humans are relatively um, young species, uh, and we have uh, not as many variations comparing to other animal and species on this planet. So technically speaking, I mean, there are more variation of fruit, fruit fries uh, and other species uh, because they actually have more genetic combinations. For us, a majority of our DNA, uh, if you look at our DNA, 99.9% .9 of our DNA is exactly the same. So from one human to another, another the differences are only less than 0.1 of a percent. Okay. Um, so our differences are very, very close, um, but the, all the differences that we see, the facial structure, the hair color, the skin color, all of those is within then uh, 0.1 of a percent of the difference we have. Okay, so that's why you probably heard, um, just kind of side note, that you probably heard that there are uh, double ganger out there. Um, you know, there are at least... Statistically speaking, there are at least 10 people, uh, 6 to 10 people that look just like you uh, live in the other part of the world, around the world. So because of this limited uh, chromosome that we had, limited number of DNA that we have, um, and the similarity of the DNA that we have uh, caused those similarities, and that's why we have lots of double gangers out there. Okay. But anyway, that's uh, beside the point that we, we want to cover today. Today we're going to talk about uh, genetics, uh, what genetics is. Okay. So genetics, if you really look at genetics, uh, is the expression of genes. Okay, expression of genes. Um, let's use use black. Okay. So let's talk about genetics. So you could genetics have a different portion. You could have the physical traits uh, like the hair, the eye color, behavioral trait, like the, you know what you do, how you act, uh, certain 
personality trait actually can be traced in the genetic. We found a gene for depression. So if you have, if your family have depression, you can pass that on to your offspring, to your kids uh, with that depression gene. So there's a lot of genetic variability in terms of behavior as well. Uh, family predisposition, uh, like diseases like sickle cell, heart disease, cancer, mental illness, several things. Okay, your lifestyle can be affected by genetics. So let's talk about genetics for a second. Okay. Okay. So it's genetics. Um, you have two categories here. You have um, autosomal dominant, autosomal recessive. When we talk about autosomal, when we talk about this guy here. This is com referring, differentiating between autosomal versus sex-linked. Uh, if you remember, this is something you should remember as well, there are 23 pairs, so 23 pairs uh, of chromosome in our human body. When we talk about autosomal, we, t we refer to the first 22 pairs, okay, first 22 pairs. The sex chromosome, the sex chromosome, the last chromosome, is fall under to the sex link. So, sex link only responsible for the sex chromosome. So, anything that's on the sex chromosome uh, is considered sex link a disease. Okay. Um, just also a side note: with the twenty-three pairs that we have, or forty-six chromosome. Okay. How do we number them? How do we put them in order? Okay, we number them by one all the way through 22. Okay, one through 22. That's how we number them. We how how we call them. Uh, the 23rd pair is the the sex chromosome. So we call either call the 23rd pair or we call it sex chromosome. Okay, so chromosome one, two, three, four. And the number is based on size. Okay, so the number is based on size. So one is the biggest chromosome, two is smaller than one, three is smaller than two, so on and so forth. Therefore, the smallest chromosome is chromosome number, well, you're probably going to say 22, but in actuality, the smallest chromosome is chromosome 21. The researcher probably didn't wear any glasses that day for somehow some reason. Uh, mixed 21 and 22. So uh, just knowing that 21 is the smallest, 22 is actually bigger than 21. Okay, and then you have the 23rd chromosome, which is the sex chromosome. We'll come back and touch base on chromosome 21 a little bit later because this chromosome does a lot of things that you should know. Okay, so now we differentiate between the two, the autosomal, which means referring to that 22 pair, number, number 1 through 22, and the sex, sex link is the last one, the last 23rd chromosome. Okay, and we have something called dominant versus recessive. Dominant versus recessive. Okay, dominant, so if you were to use big letters, you could use letter A, so... Uh, dominant meaning that that gene is dominating over other traits. Okay, this is the dominant traits. Dominant traits is dominating over the recessive trait. So this dominant have uh, the dominancy over the recessive trait. 
Okay, so therefore, if you talk about autosomal dominant, you could have this as well. Okay, so you have autosomal dominant, which is this and this. So that's mean anytime you get this big letter, this will dominate over the small letter at any time. Okay, dominant trait over the small letter. For instance, um, black hair is a dominant trait. So let's say the little a is blonde hair. Little a. If you have two little a, you will have a blonde hair. But if you have a big a, you will have a darker hair, like brown hair or black hair, is the dominant trait. So even though you have this, what we call heterozygous, heterozygous. Uh, heterozygous means you have one dominant, one recessive gene. Even with this, your traits you're going to show because since you actually have two genes, uh, but the big one will take over the small one. So the big one will become dominant over the small one. Okay, so uh, that's autosomal dominant. Autosomal recessive referring to a small a, two small a. So you'll, uh, you will have a blonde color. Okay. Uh, sex linked, uh, sex linked referring to genes that's on the 23rd chromosome, 23rd pair. Okay, so sex linked, you have X, X looks like this. Okay, so you have an X. For women, you have two X's like this, and then for men, you have the X and the Y looks like that. So the Y is kind of like a top half per se kind of like top half of the so the y is kind of top half of the x uh, per se it's just kind of cutting just the top portion of the x and put it there okay so that's the y chromosome okay so that's the dominant trait again if you have dominant traits then your dominancy will go over the uh, the recessive something to remember for the for the sex link something to remember for the sex link is that um, most majority of the traits that we're going to talk about on the sex link is oftentimes on the x chromosome Okay, these traits can be found usually on the X chromosome. Therefore, the Y doesn't really count. So uh, there are a handful of stuff that's on the Y, but you don't need to know that. For your exam, uh, just think of think of it like this. If you have a male, okay, that have a hemophilias like that, and a female who is a carrier okay uh, the chances of you do put this pun is square um, and come up with the chances for which one would have how many percent and whatnot so before we get to that <clears throat> just kind of remind you uh, that uh, things always on the X never on the Y so when we you when you do these kind of question when you do these kind of problem always put it on the X always put that on the X never put it on the Y because you won't have anything on the Y okay just put it on the X and then you will be able to do the sex link questions okay um, talking about Pennant square Pennant square 
not Pennet, Punnett Square, sorry. Uh, this is something that you will be doing. You will be responsible to know this for the rest of this class, and you will have to figure this out. Okay, so it's important to know how to do the Punnett Square. So for instance, if you have a uh, dominant trait, let me actually let me show you um, instead of this one. Uh, let me show you in the Word document, and we'll do this together. Um, okay, so some of the term we already covered this already. Okay, some of the term we already covered this. Uh, homozygous, homozygous referring to um, you have the same gene twice, you have the same letter twice. Okay, so homozygous is uh, you have the two things twice. Uh, so it would be like big A and big A, um, little a and little a. So okay, so we'll do this. Oh. We'll change every. <laughs> okay, so we'll make it a little smaller. Too small. Okay, here we go. So homozygous is referring to big A. Okay, you have two big A's together, or you could have two little A together. So this is homozygous dominant, homozygous recessive. So homozygous mean homo is mean the same. Okay, the same. So things are the same. The the same looking stuff. So the same. So what homozygous mean is the same. Heterozygous. Just only one thing is mean different. Okay, hetero is the opposite. So you have big one and small one. You don't even have to say heterozygous dominant or heterozygous recessive. There is no such thing because it's you either have one big letter or one small letter, and that's all you're gonna have. That's only one combination you can have. Phenotype, phenotype. This is what your traits, how you actually express your trait. Okay, this is the expression. So pheno, okay, um, think of phenomenon, phenom, so you actually expressing those traits, you actually showing the trait, whatever that trait might be, so expression of those traits. Whereas genotype, so it's the gene, okay, is the actual letters of the gene, so like A, A, big A, small A, big A, big A, all of these are genotypes. Okay, so again, dominant, this is where you're dominating over the small genes, and recessive, you uh, being dominant too. So this is something you're going to see throughout. Um, you're going to see in your first quiz, or even your midterm, or even your final, you're going to see some of these questions. So it's important for you to know these. Okay, so let's kind of go over these together, kind of get, get you used to these ideas. So in rabbit, black fur... Is dominant over white fur. Okay, black fur is dominant over white fur, and you could use key, any type of key you want. You could pick any letters you want. Okay, whatever makes you happy, but make sure you pick the same letters. Don't pick. Do not pick. Black is B. Back black is B, and then white is W. Uh, no. Okay, so. Do not do that. So key, you want to write on key is big B for black, 
and little b for white. Okay, so you want to make sure that it's the same letter, uh, the same letter that you are actually writing. Uh, so big big b is for black, little b is for white. Um, so show cross, show the cross of heterozygous black male with the homozygous white female. So and you could write it either one. You could write the female first. You could write the male first. Either one. So heterozygous black male would look like this. Big B, small B. Homozygous white female would look like this. Small B and small B right there. Okay, so what you're going to do once you write that out with the parents, you're going to transfer it to here. You're going to go to the top, big B, small b, small b, small b. Okay, so you're going to put this one of this to the top part here, and then put this guy on the bottom to another one. Uh, can you put either one? Yes, you could put the big one here, you could put the little one on the top, so either one would be fine. Make sure you uh, stay consistent, make sure you actually have these two on there somewhere. Okay, so once you have that, you want to multiply in each box. So this box has this B here and this B here, so you're going to put big B from the top one and small B from the side. Same thing with this one, the big B on the top box, so big B from the top, small B from the side. Uh, small B here and small B here, so you'll bring two small B here, and then you have small B versus small B, also bring those two there. Okay. So what is the genotypic ratio? So what is the genotypic ratio? So you could say, okay, you could say 50% will be big B, small b, and then 50% would be small b, small b. Okay, small b, small b. Oh, 50. Okay, so you could also say, you could say uh, one half, one out of two, or 50%, same thing, one out of two, or 50%. On your exam, I just want to let you know, on your exam, we will ask you percentage, so you need to be able to come up with percentage on there. So it's good to kind of get you yourself used used to the percentage. Phenotypic, which means it's uh, the traits. So what is what are the traits? These traits here, these two are what color? Yes, is they are black colors. So they are black. So you will say fifty percent black. Oh, fifty percent black, and then fifty percent white. Okay. Well, okay, so 50% back, 50% white. Okay, so same thing with the next one. Let me see. Um, the uh, You could, again, use the key, same letter, okay? So tall and short, T for tall, small t for short. So make sure it's the same letter. You don't want to use um, nude letter for things. So you want to use um, same letter. Okay. So homozygous short plan uh, with the homozygous tall plan. Again, you could write any way you want. So you could put homozygous tall plan first, and then you could put homozygous small plans later. Okay. And you guys could figure this out. This one is pretty easy. 
Okay. Um, let me show you this one. Uh, uh, let's see. Yep. Let me show you this one. Okay. So uh, free earlobes uh, versus um, attached earlobes. So free earlobe versus attach. Okay. So free ears, uh, free earlobes. This is what referring to these. If you have your earlobes kind of loops down like this, this is the free earlobes. Uh, the attached earlobes look like this. Okay. So you uh, don't have much of the ear. Okay. You have kind of attached itself. Okay. So there's free ear versus attached. So free. So free, let's give it a capital letter F, attach, give small letter F, okay? So what you want to do is you want is big F versus small F, big F versus small F. So this is what they say, heterozygous free ear, okay, heterozygous free ear. Uh, and for both parents, and what do you expect for the child? The child, you have big F, small f. Big F, small f. Okay, so this one, you have two big Fs. One from here, one from there. This one, you have one big F from this guy here on the left, and then small one from the top. This one, you have big F, from the top and then small f here and then you have two small f okay so if you look at this really quick um, you will have you will have 25% um, if we talk about genotypic you have 25% big f two big f's okay and you also have 25% two small f. Okay, and you have 50% 50% big f and small f. Okay, but phenotypically speaking, you have 75% Okay, because three of these guys, these three, okay, these three are 75%. Uh, they have free earlobe. Okay, you get, okay, so free ear. And then you only have 25% with the attached ear. So you have to write that out. My pad doesn't work for some reason. Sorry. Okay, so you get the idea uh, of how you should write these up okay uh, i will post this i will put this in um and for the also one of the um for the attachment to week one so you guys could play around with this and also play around with the sex link as well so if you have question about the sex link uh, you could let me know later on okay okay so we'll minimize that we'll go back to here We'll go back to this little slide. Okay. 
So there's a, several genetic disorder uh, that uh, you can look at. Um, and these are the few. We'll cover uh, most of these today. Okay. So first one, definitely you need to know this one. Uh, you could put little star next to it because definitely you're going to see this all the time. This is something you definitely should know. Okay. Definitely should know. We ask you about this all the time. Again, uh, just keep in mind, uh, trisomy 21. Okay, this is the 21st chromosome. This is the shortest chromosome uh, that we have, trisomy 21. What does that mean? That means that you have three X's. Okay, you have one additional X there. And, uh, that's why we have Down syndrome. Okay, Down syndrome. Oftentimes, with Down syndrome, um, usually is could be related some research show that it could be related to uh, the vitamin that you take especially with b12 uh, prior you know during pregnancy uh, as we as you age um, especially at the beginning of pregnancy as you age you actually have decreased level of your vitamins in your body and minerals in your body so the as you age you actually have a higher risk uh, you could look down here you could have a higher risk of having the Down syndrome uh, babies. So if you were to plan to get pregnant, okay, at this age, I would highly recommend taking prenatals at least two to three months, two to three months prior to get pregnant, okay? Uh, so recommend that to your patient if they're planning to get pregnant some, you know, after 35, uh, definitely I would recommend taking prenatals uh, two or three months before you get pregnant. Try not to have that oops baby. Um, okay, so tw trisomy 21, that means you have three chromosomal 21. Um, before they, um, these folks, uh, we do ultrasound during pregnancy and most of them, um, usually they could terminate the pregnancy finding out they might have down syndrome baby and the way we do uh, with ultrasound we measure the head circumference so head of the baby we measure that head circumference and versus the spine circumference uh, so we measure the spine we measure the head and if the ratio is actually changes um, then there's a poss possibility that they could have uh, they, they could become down syndrome they could have down syndrome however this is uh, not a hundred percent signs because we often have false positive and false negative all the time so and once they terminate the baby they found out like oh my baby is normal it doesn't have any down syndrome the only way you could tell truly tell whether the baby have down syndrome is through um, um, through um, um, Uh, through amniocentesis, okay, so you could do amnio to see whether um, the baby actually have those chromosomes uh, in the body. So that would be one way that we uh, find out, okay. Something that for you to know, definitely this is the huge thing to know, is this right here, this portion right here, okay. Uh, that 95% of Down syndrome baby actually have what we call non-disjunction something to know 
you will see this again and again and again. This is called non-disjunction. What does that mean? Is when you go through this meta phase, met, you actually meet in the middle. So meta phase, meet in the middle. So you meet in the middle right here. But when you're going apart, so Anna phase, Anna phase, Anna say bye-bye, Anna going away. So just remember Anna going away. So Anna, when you're going away, okay, instead of pulling separate these chromosomes apart, you actually keep them together. This is called non-disjunction. Okay, this right here, this is called non-disjunction. So instead of pulling apart, it doesn't pull apart, it actually stay on one side. So that's non-disjunction. So you have 1% uh, is mosaic, uh, which is some trisomy, some normal and 4% is translocation. So majority of the patient that you can deal with is most likely non-disjunction. Uh, translocation referring to they switch the gene on the bottom. Okay, translocation, that's referring to, you have this X gene here on the 14, and then here on the 21st chromosome, uh, and they somehow switch places okay so then and then in 14 will have one less or then 21 will have one extra so um, they switch places somehow so that's called translocation you just moving from one location to another location moving from the 14 uh, and then going to the uh, 21st chromosome okay so this is a chromosome disorder uh, the key things, key symptoms you might want to know is they have slanted eyes, usually. Uh, they also have this called something called simian crease. Simian crease, okay? Simian crease is the one single line across the hand, okay? This is classic, classic for Down syndrome patient, Down syndrome baby. So simian crease, you have this line across the hand, okay? Um, you could have heart defects, but the biggest one, you could have leukemia, ALL as well. The biggest one to remember is this one here. So Down syndrome patient could have leukemia, they could have heart defects, and they could also have dementia. Remember, if you remember, I might remember, Alzheimer actually is also, one of the type of Alzheimer is actually on on chromosome 21 as well so we do see a correlation if you have down syndrome you have an extra chromosome it somehow promote that uh, damage to the chromosome part of that chromosome 21 uh, causing you to have alzheimer as well okay so some of these patients may have alzheimer also may have uh, some type of deficit okay um, before in the past we oftentimes recommend you know uh, talk to parents about uh, abortion and then once we find out that they have down syndrome but now um, you could talk and you should talk to you to the parents ex expecting family that uh, there are options and you could see here that uh, most of them most of these folks live really long they could live up to 60 years old which mean that uh, and we have resources for them we have uh, things that could kind of help the of the family and the, uh, themselves as well these uh, these children to be successful in life
Okay, so amniocentesis that we what's what we use, and we also use uh, karyotyping, which is look at the chromosome to see your genetic makeup. Chromosome one, you see the biggest one, all the way to the smallest one, which is chromosome twenty one. Um, often twenty two is not smaller than twenty one. Twenty one is smaller than twenty two. Okay, uh, you could have the sex chromosome X Y here. So this is the Y. It's the shorter version. You have only half of it, half of that. Okay, so we talked about these already. Uh, Kleinfelter, Klein. So Kleinfelter is you have. When I look at Klein, you all think of Klein is a male. So Klein is a male, right? And then the k here looks like an additional x okay look like an extra x on top so Kleinfelter so Klein think of Klein is male and then you have the x additional x on top okay so if you ask uh, is this person a male or a female uh, the answer is with the Y chromosome with the Y chromosome you're gonna release testosterone testosterone may not be a lot but you do release testosterone therefore this person technically speaking considered to be a male considered to be a male you uh, this person have a penis uh, but they have a smaller testicular size uh, they have smaller penis could be and also they have two X's which mean they show characteristic of female so they'll have breasts, they'll have curvature, they have this hourly glass curve, uh, they'll have a female pubic hair, they have a higher pitch of voice, so broadened uh, narrow shoulders as like female. So they, they are male that have a lot of characteristic of female. Um, though do not think that they have the ovaries uh, they don't have the ovaries the ovaries actually comes down to the testes um, or it may not descend all the way through um, they do not have vagina so they do not have vaginal canals things like that so but they have female characteristic okay so we can't really tell uh, what they look like you know when they were younger because the Y chromosome still releasing that testosterone, so they actually have the same male characteristic when they were younger. When once they hit puberty, this extra X will release estrogen, causing them to look a lot like female. Okay, so think of the estrogen part is the secondary characteristic that you grow into, and when you hit puberty, uh, not an actual uh, female reproductive system. Okay, most of them are infertile um, because of low sperm count, small testes, so they can't have baby. Um, and they don't have because of the low small testy, they don't have enough testosterone like normal male, but they do have um, female estrogen level that kind of replacing those, so they have all of these female characteristics. Okay, chromosome testing usually will tell us uh, what they look like. Um, treatment, uh, if you have low testosterone, you want to replace the testosterone for them. Um, if they have problem with language, then you would do language, uh, do ST as well. Okay, is these what they look like? Kleinfelter. Next one is Turner syndrome. 
Turner. Turner could be a guy's name, could be a girl's name. We don't really know who Turner is. Uh, so Turner is kind of confusing. So therefore, it's XO. Okay, XO. Uh, so Turner, what Turner syndrome is, the O doesn't mean you actually have something there. The O is mean technically zero or missing. So you just have one X. Uh, technically speaking, you don't have the, another X, you don't have a Y, you don't have anything, so it's just one and blank. So 45X, that mean you only have 45 chromosomes, you don't have 46, like everyone else, everyone else has 46. So you're missing one, and so you have what we call an XO, but the O is what is the missing portion. Okay, So without the Y, without the Y chromosome, Therefore, you are automatically a woman. Okay, it's not because you have one X that caused you to be a woman. It's because that you don't have a Y that caused you to be a woman. So without a Y, you cannot secrete testosterone. Without a Y, you cannot secrete testosterone. Therefore, you will have a female characteristic. But with only one X, you cannot become a true woman because the you need two to actually tango and you need two to produce estrogen without that another x you may not know you may not um, have that puberty you cannot have that puberty and you cannot develop into a full female body figure okay so oftentimes they will stay they look like kids their body will look exactly like kids there won't be any breast development uh, they are infertile they don't get pregnant um, nipple is further apart just like child uh, children so um, the key terms to know right here you should know this they have a web neck okay no this is not referring to the redneck or any type of um, um, group of people but this is referring to the actual neck that looks like little web this is the web neck you could see right here this is the web neck you have this extra skin extra foreskin floating around okay so you could see a little extra tag of skin here as well okay so those are what we call web neck and you could actually determine this early on uh, in infancy if you're actually doing a family practice and you uh, kind of watching a, a child uh, you know during infancy or toddler you should be able to see this and identify these uh, web neck here okay uh, they could have other problems as well like um, the you could have the constriction of aorta uh, things like that, or you could have these ecchymosis, uh, nevi spot all over the, the body. Okay. Uh, you could do chromosome testing. That's what we recommend, and you could do growth to growth hormone and estrogen to help them when they reach that puberty. Otherwise, they will stay in this uh, small figure for the rest of their life. Uh, one of the famous actress um, actresses is this one. Uh, she actually has. Uh, Turner syndrome um, you remember her from Harry Potter and uh, CSI movies she's in a lot of those movies so uh, she has Turner syndrome okay so Turner without you just have one X without the other X or Y this one um, just want to kind of throw it out there it's not uh, it's not in your curriculum but something 
good to know. I think it's actually really rare. This is extremely rare. This is called androgen insensitivity syndrome, AIS. What this is, is that you have a person who, uh, genetically speaking, genetically speaking, they are male. They actually have an XY, XY chromosome. However, the rest of their body, the whole entire body, okay, do not have receptors. They don't have receptor for testosterone. So during during the birth development, during pregnancy, okay, the body the uh, body secrete testosterone everywhere. The testosterone level goes up really high, okay, because of that Y chromosome. Uh, the Y chromosome causes the testosterone level to go up. However, the rest of the cells in the body do not have the receptor, so kind of like a defect. So you don't have the receptor for testosterone. So you, the rest of your cell think that your body is actually a female because it can, they cannot detect the testosterone. So your body go into this reset mode. Your your um, basic mode is the female mode. Uh, unless you have that testosterone, then it actually will change into a male. Okay, so the nat the nature of human being, technically speaking, is a female. So and this is the disease that you could actually see it clearly. Uh, so even these folks, these folks, um, they have they have these androgen insensitivities. So when they have androgen insensitivities, uh, the body do not recognize that they are male. That they are male. They all uh, have a female body shape. But if you test their, take out their cell and test their chromosome, you will see that they have an XY chromosome. Okay, they have an XY chromosome. So think about this a second. How how do you define male or female? If you define male or female based on the chromosome, then these folks will consider it to be male and female. But if you define male and female based on Based on the appearance, these folks would be considered female. And if that's so, how would you consider these two? So Turner syndrome would consider as a female, and Kleinfelter would consider as a male. So when we talk about uh, sex and gender, it's not as clear cut uh, as we hope it can be. It's not black and white. It's not male or female. There's a lot of gray area in there. There's um, a lot of gray spot. And this is one of them, one of the gray spot. This is the uh, X-linked recessive, which means that it's not on the um, it's not on a Y chromosome that you pass this on. You have it on the X chromosome that you pass this on. Okay. And there's several types, a complete, partial, and mild uh impair so that you could develop most of them um usually are infertile most of them so some people some something so, some people say that uh J Jamie Lee Curtis actually have AIS Jamie Lee Curtis has AIS so I'm not sure because uh she has kids so um don't I don't know I cannot confirm or deny that she has or has not. 
Next one you definitely need to know is huge. You often see this. Is even though this is a rare disorder, extremely rare disorder, Huntington disease, um, but yet we often ask you and quiz you on this. Okay, this is an autosomal dominant. So we've been talking about a lot of recessive type. This is autosomal dominant. This is on chromosome four. Something you should know. Okay. Chromosome 4, autosomal dominant. What does that mean? It means that if you have it, let's say if you are male in your body, all you need is a one big letter. Okay, you could have this. So this, you will have this disease. This, you will have this disease. The only time that you will not get it is this. Okay, this is mean you are disease-free. You don't have it. And there's no such thing as carrier. You either have it, you don't have it. Okay, so if you if you are heterozygous, you're not a carrier. You actually have the disease, and you could pass that on to your kids. Okay, if you do the Punnett square on this guy, if you have it, let's say you have it, and you marry to someone who doesn't have this, okay, the chances for your kids to have this is still fifty percent with the autosomal dominant. The chances for your kids to have this disease is 50%. So if you have it, if you know you have this, uh, there's 50% chance that you could get it. Okay. But let's say if you have, if you're really lucky, you have the big guy, two big guys, two triple A like this, the chances for your kids to have this becomes 100%. You could pass this on to your kids. Okay. Uh, this is one of the uh, horrible disease because you have this something called Korea. Korea means dance. Uh, you actually dance because you have involuntary uh, muscle movements. Your muscle kind of twitch and move by itself all the time. You don't want it to move, but you, it just actually moves by itself. Your legs, your body kind of curling up and dancing. It looks like a dance, but uh, it's horrible. Uh, disease. I don't wish this on anyone because you can't control what you do. You can't control your muscle whatsoever. Okay. Uh, the key to test this, you're gonna see in your brain. It actually, uh, will you're gonna see the brain become atrophy. Um, but also, you're gonna use genetic testing. We're gonna talk about that next page. Okay. So you could see how how the brain actually become atrophic right here. Uh, here, and you have your uh, lateral fissure become a little bigger. Okay. Lateral ventricle, I'm sorry. Lateral ventricle become bigger. So the key to this is this. Uh, on the chromosome 4, chromosome 4, you have this code, CAG. CAG, this is the combination code. Uh, normal folks usually have it repeat about 10 to 26 times. That's normal healthy genes. 10 to 26 times. But for these folks, uh, it repeats up to 36 to 121 times. 36 to 121 times. So in any time you have more than 40, more, more than 36, uh, then you could be, could have, uh, you could diagnose it with Huntington disease. Okay. When you see that CAG repeated over and over again, that's Huntington disease. Okay, something to keep in mind, something you should know uh, for your exam. 
Uh, there's no treatment per se at this point because not a lot of people have this. So it's not really dr drive with the research because people are not aware of this as much. It does run in the family like crazy. So if you have someone in the family that have this, you will see their you know sibling, cousin, uh, aunts and uncles who actually have this disease because it gets passed on quite a bit. Okay. Next one, I will actually skip this one for now. I will talk about cystic fibrosis again in the uh, respiratory section. We will cover this in the respiratory section. This is autosomal recessive, but we'll cover that in the respiratory section. Big one that you should know, uh, huge, is called dwarfism. Dwarfism. There's different types of dwarfism, but uh, this... Um, we're going to talk about dwarfism. So technically speaking, dwarfism, if you are less than five feet, five foot tall, five feet tall, technically speaking, you consider to be a dwarf. Uh, legally speaking, you consider to be a dwarf. So if you are 4'11", 4'10", technically speaking, you can be considered as a dwarf. So Snooky, uh, Snooky from Jersey Shore, some of you might remember her. Uh, yep, she's, she's a dwarf. Yeah. So the, the main one that you often see uh, is called what we call achondroplasia, achondroplasia. So let's break down that term, so, okay? Chondro means cartilage, okay? Chondro is referring to cartilage. So achondroplasia, A is mean without, a lack of. So this is you lack of that certain cartilage in your bone, okay? So these folks are autosomal dominant autosomal dominant so this is it runs crazy in the family so if you have if you have dwarfism more likely you will pass that on uh, when you get married and you have kids you will pass that on to your kids okay because it's autosomal recessive uh, autosomal dominant just like um, the um, Huntington disease is autosomal dominant as well so if you have one big letter you will get this just one big letter, you will have this, okay? Um, so without cartilage, like I said, okay, without cartilage, if you look at these, the torso, their torso is the same length with uh, normal kids. The torso, this length here, is the same length with the normal kids here, okay? But what's different is their legs, their extremities are shorter, their extremities are much shorter than the normal kids, causing them to be to be, causing them to be shorter. Okay. So one in twenty-five thousand births, uh, if uh, when you have that autosomal dominant, okay, uh, usually is spontaneous mutation, uh, for the most part. Uh, you could have this happen. You could say you have normal, you completely normal person. You never had any. Uh, where in your family that could actually have uh, dwarfism, you could have this spontaneous mutation that caused you to to become dwarfism as well. So primary dwarfism, this is a lot rarer than uh, more rare than than a achondroplasia. Uh, primordial, primordial, primordial dwarfism. I'm sorry. It's kind of like when you just have a shrink gun, you just aim the shrink gun and just shoot someone with a shrink gun. So they just 
go very small, uh, just kind of shrink themselves uh, in size, very tiny, just go down inside. So they are very proportionate for those folks who are primordial dwarfism. They look exactly alike, they look like normal folks, but they just in a smaller pike, smaller size, just kind of like just grabbing a shrink and a shrink normal folks. Okay, you're welcome to watch this video, it's actually a really good video to look at. Um, key things to remember with uh, with dwarfism, you're gonna have problem with your hips. Uh, so a lot of them get hip surgery all the time, putting plates in their hips, uh, total hip, total knee. So they they go in and replacing those. They could born with club foot as well because they don't have the cartilage. So this is the club foot. What it looks like it looks like little club, like golf club. Uh, we do we put splint on here we we do a lot of things now today to help preventing those okay um, basically we just do the clinical exam we could detect this way early on inside the womb when we do head circumference versus the spine circumference you could actually see this right away uh, pretty easy to, to detect So if you have if you watch TLC, you probably remember this family, which is quite interesting family. Uh, so the father, they actually both of these are they divorced at this point, but the father and mother actually have achondroplasia, achondroplasia. So meaning that um, probably they have this. They have big A and small A. Okay, so 75% chance each kid will have 75% chance to become a condoplasia. Only one of them, from out of the four, they have four kids, one of them has a condoplasia. The three of them, the rest, are normal, completely normal. Okay, completely normal. So, uh, amazing genetic dice right here. So, each each of these kids, every time you get pregnant, you have 25% chance. Okay, Every single time, you have 25% chance. You keep repeat that 25% chance to get to, to become normal. Uh, only uh, this guy that actually in the family that have a condoplasia. Okay, so which is kind of define the art, really define that art. You're seeing a lot of achondroplasia in Hollywood. Uh, this guy is really famous in a lot of movies. Um, so tons and tons of movies he's in. So uh, Oompa Loompas, Mini Me, so all kinds of things. This is what it looks like with primordial dwarfism. As you can see, completely different than achondroplasia. These folks are just smaller, just smaller, just like shooting that shrink gun. Uh, the smallest man in the world is less than um, uh, less less than a f um, a little bit about two feet tall, uh, less than two feet, basically. Uh, he already passed away in 2015, 75 years old. Uh, smallest woman in the world, still alive today. Uh, she's actually an actress. You might have seen her in um, the um, one of the horror movies. Uh, so she's an actress. She's still around. She's still alive today. This is what clubfoot looks like. Going in. We'll talk about, about muscular dystrophy more in detail uh, when we, we when we get to 
muscular system, skeletal muscular system. We're going to go in a lot more detail about muscular dystrophy. Um, sickle cell, one last thing we'll talk about sickle cell. Actually, we'll have a couple more stuff to cover as well. Sickle cell anemia uh, is autosomal recessive. Autosomal recessive. Uh, you do need to remember this. You could put a star on here. You definitely need to know this. You're going to see this over and over again. So sickle cell anemia is autosomal recessive. Okay. Um, usually in African-American and also in Asian, Southeast Asian folks tends to have this. The reason being is this is the genetic mutation that causes um, to prevent uh, malaria. Malaria with sickle cell, you won't get malaria. No, doesn't matter how many mosquito bites you, bit you, uh, you won't get malaria. Okay. Let me talk about pathophys of of sickle cell anemia. This is something you should know, something you need to know because you're gonna see this on your exam. So definitely need to know this. So pathophys of sickle cell anemia. What is sickle cell anemia? It looks like this. We call it HBS, hemoglobin S. Okay, hemoglobin S. So what happened? is there's a single point mutation, single point mutation. Uh, it changed your protein from glutamate to value. Okay, change your protein, your amino acid from glutamate to value. So one single letter, one single letter of your gene changes. Okay, one single letter of your gene changes. Instead of the gene producing glutamate, now the gene actually producing valine instead. Okay, something to remember. Okay, something to remember. You will see this definitely. Okay, so one single gene that change it changed from glutamate to valine. Okay, in let's say if you were to examine examine the um, red blood cells and you take one little piece out, you have these hemoglobin. This is one of them. The hemoglobin, what it looks like, you're going to see the two alpha units and two beta unit here. Okay, two alpha and two beta. So this is a normal hemoglobin. We call it hemoglobin A. Hemoglobin A for alpha. So this is normal hemoglobin. You have, and in one beta unit, you have the heme group and the globin group. You have the heme and the globin. Heme is the iron. Uh, we'll talk more about this in week four or week five. Week four. Uh, so heme and then globin is a protein that attached to it. Okay. So you have the heme and you have the globin to make up hemoglobin. So for sickle cell, instead of beta group, you have beta S instead. So this is where it changed. Without the, it changed the valine and this valine causing this to change it from beta to beta S. Okay. Beta S. So it changed the protein to beta S. We call it hemoglobin S. Okay. This is another protein that you should know. The reason I'm bringing this up is this is called hemoglobin F. Hemoglobin F. Uh, when you when you are pregnant for women, when you're pregnant, you actually change your structure of your red blood cells. Instead of the beta that you have, you actually have gamma. Okay. Instead of beta, you have gamma. So this gamma, instead of you have two alpha and two betas, you have two alpha and two gammas. So this becomes hemoglobin F for pregnancy. 
So what is this? What? Why do we mention this? The reason I mentioned this because this is one of the treatment that we actually use uh, for the patient because during pregnancy, your blood changed because they could carry more oxygen with hemoglobin F. Your your body could actually carry oxygen about two to four times more than normal that you could carry with hemoglobin A. So. And oppositely, in contrast, people who have sickle cell anemia, they cannot carry oxygen at all. They have difficult time carrying that oxygen. So by giving them hemoglobin F, it actually helps kind of slow down the progression of the disease quite a bit. So we use hemoglobin F as a treatment for sickle cell anemia. So if you think it think of the instead of remembering what kind of symptom that you may have, so something you could think about is uh, if you have less oxygen, if you cannot carry enough oxygen, how is that going to affect your body? Okay, how is that going to affect your body? So if you cannot carry oxygen, okay, instead of normal red blood cells, go to the lungs and pick up oxygen and take it to your cells. Your body cannot get that oxygen, right? So you, your body become hypoxic. Uh, your body will become hypoxic. So you're going to see a lot of symptoms like pale, jaundice, okay, because you don't get that oxygen that you need. You're going to impair the growth because you're not getting the nutrients that you need to actually grow, okay? So without the oxygen, your body will actually uh, become anemic, just hence the name sickle cell anemia because you don't have the oxygen you need. But if you do that for the short term, that's one thing. But this is happened to the long term. Okay, you you having these days after days after days. Okay, normally your cells, your red blood cells, live for 120 days. Your red blood cells usually last uh, 120 days. Okay, okay, so 120 days. But for these sickle cells, your cell doesn't last that long. Your cells last only about um, 20, 10 to 20 days, 10 to 20 days. So it's a lot shorter. So if your cell lasts shorter, it will tax on the organ like spleen where they get rid of your cells for you, your red blood cells for you. So your spleens then become bigger. You have splenomegaly, okay? Um, so usually you have, you could have also, bone pain, the reason you have bone pain, because your bone have to produce more red blood cells than normal. You have to keep production of red blood cells going because it keeps depleting because you you have a shorter lifespan of your red blood cells. So it keeps depleting. So you want to kind of replenish more and more and more. So therefore, uh, you have to keep replenish that, replenishing those. Okay. Um, then you could go into hemolytic crisis like jaundice and hematuria because your liver also kind of tacks onto this as well. Your liver is not working because you have to get rid of processing the heme, breaking down these red blood cells, and breaking down these could actually cause them to become toxic, and your body could uh, going through that. Uh, you could have aplastic crisis where you have... Um, all of these symptoms that I mentioned, 
splenic con uh, sequential crisis. This is when your spleen say goodbye. If you see your spleen saying I'm done, then it could lead to death. Okay, so something to keep in mind. Um, we treat again. You have hemoglobin S, but we treat. We use hemoglobin F to treat it as well as right here so you could see stimulate hemoglobin F you could use antibiotics because the immune system will be low um, because you have less blood less white blood cells to fight off stuff as well so you're gonna see decrease in RBC more likely you're gonna see decrease in WBC as well your reticulocyte which is your baby uh, immature red blood cells will go up because you have more of those waiting uh, because you're, you're producing it all the time. The smear, you will see the sickle cell shape to actually test that. Pretty easy to see. Okay, so that's sickle cell anemia. Um, actually, I have one more slide that I want to kind of go over this with you really quick. Um, this is on our current test, uh, so you should know this. Uh, slide. I will not go over it of the in entirety. You could actually w uh, read it on your own. It's not too 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 complicated. I hope not. A uh, couple of things you I want to point out. Um, if I have not pointed out before, um, regarding the epigenetics, something that you should know for epigenetics. Um, the key things is that uh, there's so, uh, several ways in terms of epigenetics that um, how epigenetics could cause uh, could cause things. Uh, one is basically you have. Let's see, let me kind of find the location where. So, um, how epigenetics could play a huge role. A uh, couple things is one. Uh, there's several multi-location. You could have a multi multiple location on your gene that could cause the same disease. Uh, you could have multiple uh, multiple things that actually cause uh, that disease. Also, same thing with the external external things that I mentioned before. You know where you could have the sunlight, where you could have smoke, cigarette. You could have a lot of things that could ch cause changes or mutation in your gene. And that's what the epigenetics kind of cover. Uh, generally speaking, that you have more than one factor that can cause, uh, can can make your gene goes bad. So something to keep in mind. Okay. Um, the second part that you should know are these uh, rare disorder like uh, Prader-Willi and Angelman syndrome. Okay, Prader-Willi. Um, something you should definitely know. Uh, this will be it. Uh, we will ask you this on your exam. You should know these. So Prader-Willi is a deletion of four million bases uh, pair in the long long arm of chromosome 15. So you just completely delete uh, majority of the chromosome 15. Uh, four million base pair on there, on the arm. Okay. Um, usually get it from the father. Um, get it from the father. So, and there are specific uh, traits for weight uh, Prader-Willi: um, short stature, 
hypotonia, which is low in tone, small hands, small feet, obesity, hypogonadism, which means small testes. Okay. The other one that you should know is Angelman syndrome. They actually look um, very specific. Um, you could have, this is Prader-Willi, and then you have the Angelman syndrome. Uh, Angelman syndrome looks, uh, most of them look, they have this flat, flat uh, nasal ridge, usually. Um, but they can have severe mental, uh, mental retardation. They could have seizure. Uh, they oftentimes laugh quite a bit laugh quite a bit so they always kind of fun little kid they always kind of laugh to your jokes so just little things actually make them laugh quite a bit um, and they have problem in terms of putting things together in their head uh, in terms of complex sometimes they could actually solve kind of complex situation but a simple thing that may not make sense to them a lot of time um, Okay, so um, so s s these two can actually have a very similar um, similar um, cause because they have four million base pair in deletions, um, but just depending on the expression of them, uh, you could see the differences between the two. Simply put, uh, with Prater Willie, you think of they actually coming from the father's side. Whereas Angelman, uh, you think of coming from more likely from the mother's side of things. Okay, so that's uh, one of the big difference between the two. Okay, aside from their uh, symptom that they have, they have two different symptoms as well. Okay, so Prader-Willi, you have that deletion from the father's side, and uh, Angelman, you have deletion from the mother's side, causing you to have this disease. Uh, Beckwith-Witterman uh, syndrome. You guys could read over those. Um, pretty straightforward. So, okay. Some of these, uh, these are the rare, rare disease. You probably will not, may not even see them. And if you do see them, most of the time it's already been diagnosed by the specialist. So you don't have to worry too much about them because we don't usually ask much about them because it's really uh, rare to see these things. Uh, you guys welcome to watch uh, look at those if you have any question please let me know again thank you for watching and if you like this video please click the thumbs up on the bottom click subscribe as well for more videos in the future have a wonderful week and i'll see you around thank you